what's up guys welcome back to another episode of scale riders podcast this is episode number 157 with your host 65 lokes and i'm very excited about this episode because i will be interviewing a former employee of pegasus hobbies he's been a previous guest in the past of the podcast but it's been a while and i mean there's lots of things to talk about he's the man that brings realism to the model car game Let's go right ahead and get right into it and contact Joe, a.k.a. Altered Works. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hey, Edgar. Hey, what's up, Joe? Welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Yeah, doing well. Doing well. Um, man, I'm very excited about tonight's episode because uh, I, I made a list of things that I was like, man, I haven't, you know, we haven't done an episode in so long and so many things have like, you know, changed and happened that I was oh, yeah, like, definitely. I got to bring, I bring, got to bring this stuff up for sure. Yeah, and, no, definitely. Yeah, but uh, thank you, dude, for taking the time and uh, being on here. Yeah, no, not a problem. That's my honor. It's it's fun. You know, give me something to do. I'm out here in, uh, you know, I travel a lot for work, so I'm out in um, Barstow right now. So I'm oh, in a hotel. Nice. So, Dang. so it sounds like there's, you can hear the echo. It's the hotel room. There's <laughs> no right. carpet or anything here. So Right on. And um, are you currently working on, did you bring anything with you this time over there? No, I didn't bring anything this time. So the reason I don't really bring model stuff anymore in the hotel is because every time I get to the hotel to start working on something, I always start, or I'll start working on something. And I always realize I forgot something that I need. Like one time I came out here, literally forgot my exacto knife. So I couldn't do anything. Another time I came out, I filled in a bunch of seams at home, came out, hit the sand and I didn't bring the right sandpaper. So that's why for a while, if you notice my Instagram page had a lot of monster truck or RC monster trucks, because those, all I need is just, you know, a couple Allen wrenches, some screwdrivers, pliers, stuff like that. And I was just building those here in my room, you know, in between. But, yeah, it's, that's the real reason I was building so many of those things is because I had one of them that I had started and never finished it. So I figured, you know, that'll give me, you know, at least I have some time here in the hotel to build afterwards. So, no. so to answer your question, sorry, the long-winded answer, but no, didn't bring anything to work on it this time. And I'll be home to. Thursday, what's say Tuesday? I'll be home Thursday, so yeah, you know, I'll be home for a while after that, so I can definitely build, get some building done there. Man, that's cool. Yeah, because I mean, um, I did notice that on the Instagram. Um, you know, there there was a time where I I did see like a lot of the the monster trucks being built, and yeah. you know, seeing the process. And I'm not very familiar with the RC trucks, but just seeing it was like awesome. And but then it was like, oh man, it's done. And then there was another one. And I was, yeah. I was just tripping out, like, man, like, Joe's, like, knocking these out left and right. <laughs> yeah, so the first one, the one that's the Skull Bandit truck, that one, I actually it started the chassis. It started, I bought the chassis from a company back east, and I started putting it together right around, right after my daughter was born. And you know how it goes. You, you, you think, okay, I'm at home at night. I can build something, you know, but I can't build a model because I can't paint or do anything. But honestly... My daughter was born. I didn't have time to work on any of that stuff until eight years later. So <laughs> that's how long it took to finish that one. And then uh, I finished that one around halfway when I was halfway done with that one. I go down to Pegasus to buy some parts for it. And they had a special on this other monster truck kit. So I bought a second one and did that one. So that's the reason I've got two of them. And honestly, that's ever since I was a kid, I always wanted a super realistic monster truck, RC monster truck, because I remember going to the library and there was this book and I forgot who put it out. It might've been a Tamiya book, but anyways, it said something about like building, building super realistic monster trucks. And I remember showing that book to my dad. I checked it out and I showed it to my dad and I told him I want, I want a monster truck. I want one of these. And back then I remember I had the prices and the catalog and some of the kits. And this is back like 
late eighties, early nineties. I mean, these kits were like four or $500 back then. And my dad basically said, you're on crack. There's no way you're going to have that. So, <laughs> so that always, that always stuck with me. So I always wanted, you know, a shaft driven RC monster trucks. And I've got two of them. And honestly, I played with them nonstop for like a week. And now they're both in the closet. They're just big models. They're just sitting there on stands and I just clean them and that's it. You know, I haven't really played with them since, but you know, I've got possession of them. So I guess that's all that matters. You know, they're in my closet and whenever I get bored, I'll play with them, but I'm back on, you know, back to building models again. Cause I'm spending more time at home now. So that's kind of what's been taken over in the man cave. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I did notice, you know, on your latest post, you've been working on a, on a Ravel kit, the, the 1930 Model A. Correct, uh-huh. And then um, as far as, like, the parts, it, it's just cool to see that you you add that element of realism into it, um, you know, especially, like, detailing, like, the engine in there. Mm-hmm. And, and um, when how's that process like i mean you you've been building models for a long time and you know every time it's like you open up the box you you see the the parts the same parts like all the time and you know now you have a lathe you have more experience you know with creating parts machining and how does it feel now to be able to create all those small parts for the engine i'm glad you asked me that question because if you notice i'm also building a mobius truck that i'm building box stock completely box stock so I, I haven't been posting much pictures of that just because it's there's really no steps in between right now because it's basically it's getting built up right now i'll finish painting it when i get home the reason i'm building it is building a box stock is is kind of answering your question so a lot of these kits i've been opening them up for so many years and i just see the same parts over and over and over again and i'm like man that has flaws or that shouldn't be there this needs to be made from aluminum you know and so that building that Mobius truck was kind of like a breath of fresh air because it's something, even though I was at Peg, you know, I'm at Pegasus all the time. I'm kind of involved with them still. I was looking at the test shots of the models, but I always made it a point to never build that model or look at it because I wanted to build one without ever seeing it. So it's a fresh new kit. I don't know anything about those kits. You know, I've seen the, the test shots and everything. The Ravel kit, I had seen it for years, you know, for the last what it came out maybe five, six, eight years ago or something like that. And I've got like 12 of the original ones and I would see those parts all the time and I would open them up and certain parts would bother me. You know, I would look at them. So if, if you notice, I'm trying not to add too many aluminum parts to this one because I'm kind of going back. It's going to sound like I'm just being like a hypocrite against myself though. So I started making a lot of parts from aluminum, making everything super detailed, trying to make as many parts as I can either on my mill or my lathe. But honestly, I got burnt out and now I'm having more fun building the kits with as many parts available that are available in the box. You know, I mean, at least that's what I want to do for the next couple models. And that 30 model A kit, actually, it's a really nice kit. I'm surprised, you know, it gives you a lot of good options to build it out of the box, except those pulleys. You know, they bother me because they're kind of they're they're kind of made to look high tech, I think. But that's the reason I decided to machine those out of aluminum was just. You know, I've looked at them for so many, t- you know, so many times I've looked at that, that pulley set and it just didn't look right to me. And honestly, I, my plan originally was just to go with the plastic pulleys. But like I said, I opened it up and I just kept looking at it over and over again. I just said, you know what? No, I'm going to machine some out of aluminum. So, Dang, that's pretty cool. So um, as far as like the, the Model A, um, is there other parts you're planning on machining to add to that build? Yeah, so the taillights on that kit are nice. I like the style of them, but this is going to be, you know, something that's kind of like, this is probably, 
in a flaw of mine, but I think the taillights are way too big. They they almost look like bricks, and if you look at them, they're too thick. They're way too big for for that scale of a model. But the style is nice. I mean, if I can find something that's just a little smaller, a little thinner, I would definitely use those. But what I did was I ended up filling the holes that come in that rear deck lid, and then I'm going to machine some 50 Olds, or I think they're it's either 50 Olds or 50 Pontiac taillights. I'm not sure. I think they're Oldsmobile uh, taillights. So I'll be, I'll be machining those out of aluminum, at least machining the bezel. And then I've got some clear red styrene rod, or uh, um, oh, what is that? I think it's ABS rod that I'll be machining for the red part, you know, for the, the taillight lens. So I'll be machining that part. Um, I think I'll be machining maybe maybe a couple other little parts in the engine. And I think that's about it. But I'm honestly trying to keep it as not necessarily box stock, but as much, I'd say I'm just trying to build it with as little aftermarket and as little machine parts as possible, just because I think it's a great kit. And I want to show people that it doesn't take a lot to build that car and make it look something, you know, make it look like a really decent model. The only other thing that the big problem that I will knock on that one all day long is the radiator. It comes with this molded, I guess it's supposed to be an electric fan, but it looks like a stack of like rings or something like that. It's, it's hideous. I mean, if that's, if I could have one complaint, actually two complaints about the kit, that would be, Problem, yeah, that would be the second complaint. The first complaint on that kit, though, is how it's a two-piece body. You have to glue the roof on, which wouldn't be a problem, but where you glue it on, it actually glues on top of a piece of trim. So you have to putty all that. But if you put too much putty, you start to obscure that trim. And then if you sand too much of it, you'll start taking that trim off. So, But aside from that, I think it's a great kit, though. I, you know, Hopefully you get to build one. It's, it's actually out of the box. It's not a bad kit at all. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I did see that you added um, uh, some styrene rod to fill in uh, like a gap. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool, man. I like how you do those posts where you pretty much detail and show like the before and after. Because oh, yeah. th- those are things like I-, I would think like, let's say if I'm building it, you know, yeah. I might not even pay attention to that. You know, I might just glue it and just have it or or might even be like, oh, I'll just put glue in there to fill in the gap but yeah i like how you added that styrene that gives it that little step and that detail oh, okay in there yeah yeah that, that actually oh okay that's the other thing see i'm glad you're paying attention because i forgot about that one too yeah that's that uh, that's the other get uh, another issue that i found with that kit was just i built one before and i remember when i was done building it i was looking and if you look through that firewall you can see the interior and i'm like man that's a huge gap so that's the one thing i remember so i'm like all right let me just let me just take a piece of this really thin rod. And what's nice is that stuff is really thin and easy to work with. So when you when you put a bead of the Tamiya uh, cement, it'll actually follow that. So wherever that cement's at, it'll follow it, and it dries instantly. And it's you know it works just like it's almost like a putty. You know it's so soft. You just let it dry overnight, and it didn't have required any sanding or anything like that. It filled in that gap perfectly. And the other thing too was when I put that piece of styrene on it, it actually looked uneven. But what I did was I took a steel edge ruler. And I pushed it because it was so soft. It was basically molding itself between the uh, the firewall and the body of the of the kit, and it filled it all in perfectly. Yeah, and and you know, like the the piece of styrene, it's so tiny, right? It's so small yeah. that's going in there. What what type of glue would you use at, for application for something of that size? Um, I only use the Tamiya liquid cement or the super fine liquid cement. Either one works fine. The super fine one will start to run a little bit too fast. And it's it's like using the, the super thin crazy glue. Before you know it, it's all over your fingers and you leave fingerprints. 
But what I do is I just put a bead of just the regular Tamiya uh, liquid cement, and then I just put that rod on top of it. And even if it's not straight, that's okay because you still have like 20 seconds to work with it. And like I said, I just had like this this metal ruler that once one half of the one half of or one side of the body was done, I took that ruler and I put it pushed it flush underneath the the, the um what is that called? It would be like I guess it's the front of the car. I mean, obviously it's the front of the car, but what, I forget what they call that. But anyhow, so I would push that underneath it so it filled in the gap between the firewall and the body, the cowl. That's what it's called, the cowl. So it was basically just kind of just forming itself between the cowl and the firewall. And it actually looks – I didn't think it was going to turn out that great because at first I'm like, all right, it's going to look kind of goofy. And some areas look a little more compressed than the other. But once everything dried, it seems like it kind of expanded again and everything looks even and uniform. So I was pretty happy with it. Man, that's cool. And, you know, as far as, like, Ravel, like, the state of Ravel, have you looked into, um, like, what's been going on or what's going to be potentially coming out in the future? Because I remember a previous episode, the one we did back then, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, we didn't know what was going on with Ravel, if they, if they were, like, completely just done, if that was it. And it was it was kind of like a crazy kind of time, I remember, back then. Yeah, no, I remember that. Nobody was sure what was going to happen. Ravel was just up in the air, and they were for sale. And anybody with the, yeah, you know, I think they wanted like three million for the company or something like that. Anybody with the money could have bought them. I don't really know what's going on with them because they got absorbed by some German company. And I was talking to somebody over the weekend, and he's really good friends with a lot of these people who have kind of prominent positions in different model companies, and. He heard the latest rumor about Ravel is they will keep building models. That's the one thing that they want to stick with is doing model kits. But they also want to start creating a line of toys. And what it sounded like was they're going to start basing a lot of the toys off of their snap type models. So it's almost like going back to the days of the promos and model kits in the 60s and 70s where you can buy a model kit, but it's basically an unbuilt promo. And he spoke to somebody who spoke to somebody at Ravel, and they said that's kind of their plan right now is to start going into the toy industry a little bit, but they still want to keep the the model side going also. Yeah, man, that's interesting. It's um, you know, I, ne I never, you know, it's it's cool to hear about what what's kind of go down because then it's almost like you start kind of preparing yourself. Exactly. You know, like this is gonna happen instead of just being kind of sidetracked. Then all of a sudden you you see a big shift and you're like, wait, what's going on? You know, uh, one thing I've noticed is uh, like the Cadillacs, mm -hmm. the uh, like the the box are like the the one that has a purple Cadillac. Okay. I yeah. know I noticed that because you know there was a time where they released them and then they stopped releasing them, and I have a feeling maybe it might have been around that time when they were acquired. Uh huh. And now, you know, they're re-releasing them. They're coming out. And I remember, like, trying a year to to try to get those kits for, for my online store. Uh -huh. And I couldn't get them. Like, they were either unavailable or when they would get them, they would sell out, like, okay. imme immediately. So, finally, when I got some, I started to notice, um, like, the like, the color on the box was, like, a little more darker. Before, it was, like, a little bit brighter. Like, the purple kind of popped more. Oh, okay. And then um, I also noticed, like, I had purchased, like, a case. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, dope. So then when I took them out, I noticed there was, like, a few boxes that were that were crushed with inside. And I was, oh, no. like, I was like, what the heck? So then I'm looking at the, you know, I opened one of them just to see if the contents were okay and not broken or anything. Mm -hmm. And they were fine. But I felt the box was, like, a little on that, was, like, 
pretty flimsy. Yes. Like it was, <laughs> you're gonna say that. <laughs> like it was. It wasn't sturdy, and I was like, well, "What the heck?" And then I remember um, going. You know, there was Model Fest that happened in Ventura not long uh-huh. ago, and there was a, a a Ravel Germany kit that was for sale, and it was opened. You know, and I and I remember holding the box, and I kind of opened it just to peek in. But when yeah. I felt that box too, it kind of felt the same. I was yeah. thinking like, oh man, it must be like the same material they're using for the boxes. I and you were gonna say that, yes, they, they definitely switched over to. It almost feels like like thick construction paper for their boxes. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> it's, it's shocking, you know. It's shocking because I remember in the early two thousands when AMT got bought out by uh, who? Oh, Racing Champions, who was a diecast company at the time. It was Racing Champions, and then. They, then their parent company, I forgot it was, it was another big toy company. But anyways, when they bought out AMT, they started putting the model kits in these boxes that you could never damn, you could never, you could step on them. They were super thick, but the box that was really ugly, they were putting like 22 inch wheels on everything. It would be like a street rod, like a 32 Ford hot rod with like 22 inch wheels. <laughs> but I remember everybody was saying, well, God, well now we're paying more for shipping. You know, if you go by weight, because this box is like three times as thick as anything's ever been before. And then now Ravel's on the opposite side of that, just giving you like a construction paper box. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I know a couple of people that have some of those kits and then they stack, you know, normally modelers stack a lot of models on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that when I, they put heavier kits on top of them, all the boxes just collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah, because I was quite surprised. I was like, wait a minute, what's, go- what's going on here? Yeah. It's like cutting back or switching. And I mean, sometimes you even notice that even with like shipping boxes, yeah. Um, you know, at first you're like, oh man, these are these are nice and sturdy. And then later the the cardboard is like super soft and it's just like yeah. it just feels a bit flimsy, you know, and I'm like <laughs> I'm just like, damn, what's going on with this? Yeah, you tell they're definitely trying to cut corners on on that side. Yeah, and you know, from do you ever um, you know, from the people that you that you talk to that work for companies, do they ever break it down to you as far as like or give you an insight? Uh, what goes into it with development when they're going to create a kit, you know, as far as like, you know, what can they give you? Because I know they can't just give the modeler everything they want, you know, they're going to give you certain things. But then mm-hmm. obviously, you know, everyone's going to discover like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. They should have done this better. And um, but I always, I always I'm always thinking like, well, for sure, be, you know, probably due to budgets and things like that. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it's one of the main things right now that really hurts a lot of people trying to make model kits is licensing rights and intellectual property where before in the fifties, sixties model companies can make a model kit and they would just, you know, say it's 1955 and you want to come out with a model of a 55 Chevy Bel Air. All AMT or Ravel back then would do is just contact GMC and say, Hey, we're going to make a model kit of this. And, you know, we can have unassembled or we can have assembled versions of it for your dealership. As promos, you can give them out. And that was kind of it. You know, there was, it was basically just kind of a handshake deal where you would say, okay, yeah, we'll take those. And, you know, you guys will do it the model side. Today, it's not like that at all. There's so many legalities involved with everything. I mean, just from what I've seen with Pegasus, acquiring the licensing for Ford or Chevy, and it's just contract after contract. And, you know, of course, all that costs a lot of money. You've got all these legal fees, <clears throat> then you have to pay the licensing fee, and then you have to give them their uh the residuals too which they'll you know they'll want like five or ten percent for each kit or something like that so if you notice a lot of model kits have gone way up in price because 
all of that cost is getting factored back into the model kit that you're buying. And so what a lot of companies are trying to do now to save, to make more money, it's weird. It's like they want to save money on their end, but try to make a little bit more money on the other end from the consumer to try to make up for it is what they'll do is they'll make certain models and then they can share other parts with other kits. So if you look at like <clears throat> the Model A Ford Coupe that I'm building, a lot of that kit is pretty much the same as a 29 Roadster, right? So all you're basically doing is swapping the body out. So you already have the licensing rights for Ford for both kits, for both, you know, both body styles, but everything else is going to be the same. So they're not having to retool anything again for a second chassis or motor. It's basically, they're basically both the same kits. If you notice in the model kit too, they give you, you know, they'll give you like a different engine, right? They don't ever call it a Buick nail head or in other kits, they won't call it a Pontiac or small block Chevy. They'll just say, you know, a high power V8 engine now because they're trying to stay away from using the word like a Chevy V8, Pontiac V8, Oldsmobile V8. And so if you notice that they're starting to use a lot of generic terms and model kits. And then another thing too, if you notice with a lot of the, the uh, you know, at least the American kits, they're not really using name brand tires in the kits anymore where the older kits had like Firestone, Bridgestone, <clears throat> uh, Pirelli, stuff like that stamped on the tires. Now the tires are, you know, again, generic because that keeps the cost down. Man, that makes a lot of sense. That's pretty cool. It's interesting to hear you talk about that because, I mean, we, you know, we notice it, but then sometimes we don't, you know, like it's almost like exactly. we're, not, we're not paying attention to it. Like, you know, we open up the kit, like just think of, of like back then, you know, you would open up a model kit, right? And then mm -hmm. before you even start assembling anything, you start looking through the manual exactly. and, and you start reading, you know, like all the sections, you're just taking your time and, you know, it's even like the... Like the AMT kits, um, I remember like the 62 Bel Air, you know, or each of them, like in the front of the page, I have like a little paragraph. Oh, yeah. You know, and you, and you start geeking out on that stuff, start yeah, reading it. And I mean, now it's it's almost like, you know, you, you've probably been building the kits so much, you bypass all that stuff. And, uh -huh. you know, you start kind of already putting it together, but then because you already know the parts. And then after a while, you're like, oh, I'll just I'll look through it real quick. Like I'll skim through yeah. it or whatever. Um, but it's, it's interesting just to kind of see, you know, and then like those transitions as to where it's now. And, and it is crazy because, you know, obviously I feel like every company who owns some type of entity or an attachment to something, they want to get paid for, exactly. for what they own, you know? Exactly. And, and as far as like licensing, um, you know, it, they normally, it, it depends, right? Like they could license it for maybe a year or like a couple exactly. years or so. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they licensed it for like 10 or 20 years. It's like, it always has to be renewed. And even in those renewals, it's almost like another negotiation deal. Exactly. And it's not even, not only that, you're not even dealing sometimes with, with the companies directly. So for instance, Ford, Ford or Chevy on the West coast might hire a third party company to handle all of their licensing. So you can go through, so say for instance, you wanted to get, you wanted to acquire licensing to do a model of a, a Ford, I mean, a Ford. I only know, I'll use that example just because I know this kind of from firsthand. So you want to acquire the licensing to build Ford kits. Well, Ford is so big now that they, they look at a model company as not a pain in the ass, but they're just saying, okay, that's, they're only going to be paying us, you know, $50,000, $100,000 a year. That's, you know, lunch money for those people, you know, for one office meeting or something like that. 
And so what they do is they, they handle, yeah, because they're building, you know, they're raking in billions. Right. So 100,000 for them is like, you know, a buffet for a week or something. So what they do is they actually have a third party company handling other licensing. So they basically outsource their licensing to another company. So you have to deal with that company too. And so, you know, you're dealing with another company who's, like I said, is a separate entity. And then they're kind of the middleman between you and Ford. And it just goes back and forth, back and forth, just trying to bargain to try to get some kind of a deal struck up. But you never really know what's going on because you don't talk to Ford directly. You're just talking to either lawyers or somebody who's in the middle between you and the automaker. And so it's always it's always interesting to see, you know, what the cost really is, because that middleman, of course, wants to make money. And, you know, and these are big companies, too. So. You know, when they'll say, you know, Ford wants, you know, 10 cents for every kit you sell. Do they really want 10 cents or are they saying, yeah, that's fine. They can give us a nickel for every kit. And then that third party company is keeping a nickel also. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all kinds of weird things. And it's sad. It's, it's, it kind of breaks my heart to, to see the hobby go that way because it's, you know, people do it just for the love of it. They're not doing it to try to, you know, to be multimillionaires anymore. It's those days are over. Mm-hmm. And it's, I wish automakers would realize, look, all you're doing is just advertising your stuff, you know, kind of ease up on, on the high licensing rights, because that's kind of what's going to be hurting the industry more and more. If you look at a lot of these kits now, you know, just like Ravel and AMT kits. I mean, I remember 20 years ago when to me, to me, it seemed like the expensive model company because a car kit was like 25 to like $50 and people were going crazy back then. Now, a Ravel kit is, you know, in the 30s. AMT kits I saw over the weekend were in the $30 range for some kits. And, you know, and th- these are kits that were tooled up in the 70s and 80s. So that tooling was paid off in the first run 30, 40 years ago. But now they're, you know, they're making 500% mar- you know, profit margin on something that was paid off a long time ago. But a lot of that is just licensing rights and then just all the hands, you know, they it's basically all the people kind of just reaching into that pot, taking every little penny from it. And then at the end, it's the consumer that has to pay for all that. But then the consumer is going to say, well, screw that. I'm not going to build a model. I'm going to do something else because they're too expensive now. So it's, so it seems like, you know, that greed, I think ultimately will, I'm not, I don't want to sound pessimistic because I hope it never happens, but that I think is just something that's going to start really starting to impact the hobby industry because it just is getting too expensive for kids to get into, I mean, you know, people of our age group, fine, but, you know, say you're a parent and you, you, you're a parent and let's say you didn't have the model company, you didn't know anything about it, but your daughter says, dad, I want to build a model. You go to the hobby shop and you look and, you know, a model car kit is $35 and then you have to buy the paint, the glue, you want aftermarket wheels, tired of everything. And you realize you get to the register and they tell you, okay, your total is like $95.50. You're just like, well, that's a lot of money. I'm just going to go over here and get a die cast car and let her play with that for $25. So it's like, you could sell, you could sell me a built die cast car for $10 at the gas station, but my model kit is $35. So, you know, I think there's, there's something wrong here. Somebody's trying to pinch too many pennies out of something. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause I, I, I still remember going, um, to, uh, to a hobby store in Camarillo. I can't even remember the name of it because it, it closed down many years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, but I, I remember um like going to it 
and I, I feel there was a I feel there was a chain of them. It was like RC and also um oh model kits. But I remember seeing a, a father and daughter and uh and the father asking one of the clerks, like, hey, you know, what what model do you recommend? Because my, my daughter wants to build a model. Mm-hmm. And I just seen the little girl, you know, just like seeing all the kits and she was touching like looking at some of the snap-on and then some of the higher end ones, Ravel, and and then mm-hmm. uh like the Tamiya ones, you know, they had at the very top. And those were, you know, I, I think she was looking at at one of the GTRs. Oh, okay. And and it, that one was already maybe I don't know if it was like fifty or sixty bucks, mm-hmm. you know. And um and I could I could just see that that was a little confused, like damn, I, I don't even know what to get her, you know. Yeah, exactly. She she wants to get into this, and yeah, I mean it, it's a trip, like with the prices, because even when I uh in the beginning when I was like, all right, I'm gonna start, you know buying model kits to sell and i started looking at the brands and i was like cool let me look through the amt and when i saw the prices of what their the suggested retail price was and as soon as i saw the price already like in the 30s or 32.99 35.99 and up mm-hmm. i was like nah I, there's no way no one's gonna buy those off me like yeah those are just gonna sit there like i'm gonna buy yeah. them and they're just gonna sit there you know, because you could probably get the same kit at Hobby Lobby for like forty percent off whenever exactly. they, whenever they do that sale, you know. Yeah. And I was like, nah. So I kind of, I I stayed back from a lot of AMT kits. Like I'm yeah. able to get a lot of their catalog, but I don't really want to carry it because I don't think I'll even be able to sell it. And I just try to get the ones that I feel like, all right, this one, it's like the price is is fairly decent. That I could see it, you know, um, being like a fair price to to resell, and um, the same. I felt like the Ravel ones were a little bit less as mm-hmm. far as price, but the AMT ones were just like a lot higher. Yeah, and I was like, dang. And then, you know, after a while, you start seeing the same kits in other hobby stores online, and they're you know cheaper. And I'm thinking like, man, I wonder if they're getting them direct or what, because you know they're they're a lot cheaper. And I'm like there's no way I would be able to get that kit from AMT and try to compete with that price at all. So I was like, I'll just stay away. And, you know, I was more focused on like bringing in like the Aoshima kits and Fujimi, Hasegawa and the Tamiya. And and also the Mobius. I was like, if I'm going to sell, you know, cars that are like, you know, made here, like Ford cars and all that, it's got to be Mobius for sure. You know, the Hudson yeah. Hornets, because I know that, you know, even though you're going to be paying like uh, 35 99 or 36 or 38 for those kits, it's a premium kit. Yeah, like, exactly. It's really like a nice kit. And, and I feel like it's, it's worth it. But with the other ones, it's, it's kind of scary sometimes, you know, to be paying a lot more for like an AMT. And, and then when you build it, you never know, it might have a flaw or something. Exactly. With it. And a lot of, yeah, and a lot, like I was saying earlier, a lot of those AMT kits were all tooled up in probably the 60s and 70s. So to your point, like you said, a lot of them are going to have flaws. They have the one-piece chassis and stuff like that. And those kits, you know, for that, for that manufacturer to make, since the tooling was paid off 30, 40 years ago, that tooling was paid off even before this company acquired it, right? So they acquired the tooling for next to nothing. That kit probably cost them, you know, from the, the moment they injection molded it with plastic to having a completely sealed box, you're probably looking at maybe $2. I'd say maybe 
maybe five or six stars at the very most after it's shipped to the United States from China, right? But they're turning around selling it for 35. So who's taking what from in between all that, you know? Yeah. You've got the distributors, and I know you've got shipping and stuff like that, but still, it's it's crazy. No, it is. I, I still remember uh, some years back when you had posted online letting people know, hey, if you see the 1963 Impalas by Ravel, pick them up because yeah. they're done. Like, the, you, you're not going to see any of these like yeah. f- for a long time or maybe ever. Who knows? And yeah. I remember during that time, um, I was finding some at like um, Michael's. Exactly. And, and I was picking them up, you know, here and there. And, and then I had maybe about five or six of them just mm-hmm. just kind of sitting there. And then I also started collecting like the, the 64 Impalas, mm-hmm. the, the the ones that just have, um, you know, it would just say lowrider at the top. Exactly. And yeah. I was like, all right, cool. So I started buying a bunch of those. And then eventually, you know, I started to see uh, those kits were just gone everywhere. Yeah. Any Michaels mm-hmm. I would hit up, I would never yeah. see one. And um, and then I started to kind of see a decline in in Impala builds. Yeah. Through the years, like I started to see not that many people building sixty threes by Ravel or even the sixty fours. And then, and if so, the sixty fours were now costing a premium. Yeah. Though those went up, and do you? Do you know or do you think or like speculate that they'll ever bring back the 63 again? I think they will. I honestly think they will. I think it, right now they're probably holding off. Just there's, there's probably some licensing issue. I mean, they've got the tooling already. It's not like, you know, as far as I know, the tooling wasn't destroyed or anything like that. But, yeah, I I, I think it'll come back at some point. Just like the the 64. I mean, they, they produced that after. I mean, that was one of the first kits they started making after they got absorbed by a new company in Germany. And I remember, you know, the rumor was that we'll never see that 64 again. And sure enough, we started seeing it right away. And I remember when Ravel finally started selling models again, Pegasus had like, I think they got like 96 of those 64 Impalas. And they're still only selling for like $22 or something like that. They're still really cheap. That's and good. so, yeah, so I, I think that 63 will come back. It'll probably be, you know, 35 bucks instead of 25 what it was before. But, you know, it's... It's just to be out there. It's interesting because I don't really see those on eBay either. I've got like four or five in my garage, and I keep saying I'm going to build one. And I do have one that I started. I'm building as a replica of somebody's car, and I like it. It's a cool kit, you know. But it's just it's weird. It's like it's one of those kits you really don't see out there for some weird reason. Mm-hmm. It, so so like let's say AMT, right? They back in the day they came out with with the model. They already have the molds and everything, and the licensing for that time. And once it expires. You know, if if they need to bring this back, let's say ten years later, they pretty much just gotta renew that license to bring that back. And the uh, let's say whatever car they the molds, they they have one hundred percent like that's their property, right? Not the other, even though it's a a car that they're licensing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they're basically just paying. Pay, they're basically just paying to be allowed to produce that kit with you know with the intellectual property of you know chevy ford buick oldsmobile any of those markings on it i mean if if they wanted to and this is like a hypothetical thing but say for instance they wanted to release a 64 impala and if they got rid of all the impala tram and made like a 10 percent change they can sell it as like a lowrider car you know just say the lowrider body or something like that because it doesn't have any of the chevy emblems or anything like that or if they change the grill but then again you know would want that mm-hmm. but yeah that yeah all they're basically doing is just 
it's just basically just a kickback to be allowed to produce something that says Chevy on it or Ford or any of those automaker names. But but yeah, it, it's it's too bad that the licensing fees are so high because that I think, like I said before, I think it's really gonna start impacting the hobby industry a lot. Yeah, and I I always wondered if there was ever like a, a conflict uh, between brands because you know how like AMT has a '63 Impala and mm-hmm. then you know the Bravel had theirs. Um, I don't know if they were released around the same time or or maybe they were released different during different periods, just so they the competition. Um, I don't know. Did, did you ever know of of that? If there was maybe an issue. No, I would wonder that myself too, because I would look, you know, at least when I'd walk down Pegasus, I'd look down one aisle, like the Ravel aisle, and you see, you know, all the Ravel or the Ravel Impalas, and then you look to the other side, you look at the AMT stuff, and they have a bunch of Impalas there too, or the Lindbergh ones all at the same time. But I think it's just GM just getting licensing rights from all three of those model companies. Dang, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, is there is there like a uh, a box art period that you like? Um, like let's say the '80s or '90s or even now, like modern. Um, yeah, let's see the box art period that I think I like the most. At, well, definitely the '60s stuff. You know, if you ever look at the '60s, I mean, these people put a lot of a lot of effort into box art. But of all the box art, I really like from the '60s with the airplanes, '50s and '60s, because what they would do is they actually hired an artist to paint, you know, paint like an image of an actual event going on with an airplane. So I still remember like the B-17, you know, if you look at the Ravel B-17 kit, it looks like it's flying or the B-29 or even um, there's another company. I forgot the name of the company, but they did like an X-15 model. And you look, you can look at that boxer because it it's, it's almost suitable for framing. It's a plane flying, but the way they capture the motion and everything, it really gets your, your eye. I remember the box that I, that I least like was AMT in the early early 2000s. And that's when I was telling you that they're putting big wheels on everything, like literally 32 Ford with like 22-inch wheels or 24-inch wheels. And all they would do is they just built the model, and then they just put it against the blue backdrop and took a picture of it. And you can see all the flaws. The wheels weren't straight or anything. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If you take a look at those sometime, but it's, it's kind of an embarrassment. I mean, it, they still sold, but it's... Mm. It's to me that's the funniest box art period. I think was you know the AMT stuff. But favorite car or car model box art would probably have to be again sixties, just because it was just you know it wasn't they weren't computer generated or computer altered. It wasn't photoshopped or anything. It was just you know one person's art artistic rendition of a car. You know it was pretty cool. Yeah, and you know how like sometimes when you go to a model show there'll be a dealer selling like vintage model car kits like Johan and, and, you know, some of them are, you know, could be upwards of like 150, $200 or more. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, which like in, let's say in the future, let's say like 20, 30, maybe 40 years from now, do you think, which company do you think will be like the next uh, Johan? Do you think it would be AMT or like Ravel or Mobius? I think it would be, I, I, something tells me it's going to be Ravel especially after I had this conversation with this guy over the weekend about Ravel kits and with him telling me about them going towards the toy industry. And the only reason I, reason I say that is because they're, they're owned by, again, I, I could be wrong, but I, I know it's something to do with some German company or maybe it's some German capital investment group. But anyways, they're really interested in, in taking that name and turning it into a toy line. So 
this is just my fear, but I think what, what this is my personal opinion. I think what might happen is they're going to start looking at the cost of the models and, and the cost of the toys and say, well, we're making way more money with these toys and it's less hassle. Maybe we should go that route and, you know, maybe discontinue a lot of the model kits or just get rid of that whole line entirely because they're going to say, well, you know, demographics show not that many people are building models anymore. And that's because, you know, they're over in another country and they're not looking at what's being sold in the United States versus AMT, which is a, you know, owned by round two, they're here pretty much in America and they're really involved. You know, the people that they have running it kind of know the model scene, they're modelers themselves. And I see them sticking around a lot longer. And then Mobius, that's a good question. As far as I know right now, Mobius seems like they're going to be around for a while. And then there's also Salvino's models, which, you know, I'm good friends with Rick Salvino. And his model company, I think, is going to be around for a while just because he's building, you know, he's offering these kits of these old NASCARs that no one's ever done before. And I remember talking to him and, God, he and I went out to lunch and we talked about this probably back in like 2005 or six. And he told me what he wanted to do. And his whole thing was, I want to offer these vintage NASCAR kits. And back then he was saying, no, I'm just going to 3D, or uh, not 3D print, I'm going to resin cast them and sell them as kits. And at that time, 3D printing was coming out. And he's like, maybe I'll 3D print him. And then he says, oh, I just bought an injection molding machine that I can press stuff in my garage. And then <laughs> eventually cool. he says, well, that's not going to work. I think I'm just going to buy my own injection molding machine. And now he has his own full, huge shop set up by Ontario Airport. And I think he'll be around for a while. I don't, you know, I, I kind of thought about that when he first started. I thought, you know, he's going to put out a couple kits and maybe it's going to get out of hand or too expensive. And maybe he will be the next Johan. But no, I, I think some of these smaller, more newer companies are going to stick around for a while just because they have more of a following. You know, it's like Mobius is doing these really specific subjects. Salvino Models is doing a lot of specific stuff. And I know it seems like it's really working out for them. And I don't see them going anywhere. But if anybody, I, I, I would venture to say that maybe Ravel would kind of just disappear at some point. Not that not, that's not what I want, but I can see that happening just because, you know, it's a company that's kind of away from the American hands. Yeah. And, um, you know, talking about disappearing, did you trip out when uh scale auto magazine was like out? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, they've been around for so many years and, it it just seemed kind of kind of crazy, kind of random, like like not random, you know. I mean, for sure, them there, you know, they whoever, you know, the, the moves that that were being made, they knew it was coming. But for us, mm-hmm. you know, as far as you know, everybody buying the magazine, appreciating that. Oh, you see one of your friends in the magazine, exactly. Especially the, uh, you know, who doesn't love like the competition issues that they yeah. would put out the annual ones, and. All of a sudden, you hear the news that you know that that they're done, and or you know, kind of I guess uh, consolidating the company, and and they were just going to focus on on this other magazine, but they were going to do like a small little feature on cars, but it really wasn't going to be like a full on car magazine. Exactly. And I don't know that that blew my mind, dude. I never saw that coming. I mean, if anything, I would have probably thought that maybe they would just say Skill Auto will exist, but just digitally. Exactly. That it, it's funny. So I just bought some scale auto magazines and some old car model magazines from the early two thousands because there's these issues that I really liked. And I remember reading those and thinking, man, I'm like, you know, I just like those. Cause no, so now it's kind of a nostalgia thing to buy them, but 
I was going back and I actually, when I was Googling different issues of Scale Auto, I actually found somebody had taken a screenshot of Scale Auto announcing, you know, when they were going to fold and how it's going to get consolidated into Fine Scale Modeler magazine. And then the, the next screenshot was saying that they're going to they close down their website. And it, I, I agree with you, you know, why, why close down the magazine site? Okay, I can see that, you know, the hard copies aren't selling what they used to, but running a digital site is probably not going to cost you any more than running just your fine scale modeler site. So why do you have to close that down? You know, what I think when, when fine, when scale auto did that, I kind of feel like a lot of modelers, you know, they felt that scale auto and that company turned their back on them, which I, I agree with them, you know, with the modelers, because it's just, there really wasn't much of a warning. It was maybe like what a month or something like that saying, Hey, this is, this will be the last issue. And then what we're going to do, and I know this happened to a lot of people who had subscriptions to Fine Scale Modeler or to Scale Auto Enthusiasts, they just sent them Fine Scale Modeler magazine. And they're like, hold on a second. This is you know, <laughs> something different. This is, if I wanted this, I would have subscribed to it in the first place. You can't just send me that. I know one guy who subscribed to Fine Scaler and uh, Scale Auto, and they sent him, they would just send him two Scale Auto or two Fine Scale Modeler magazines oh, for, for a month after that. Yeah. And he's like, well, what a slap in the face. Yeah. You know, but yeah, it, it was it was a shock to see that disappear, you know, and it's it kind of was a staple in the hobby industry. And <clears throat> I remember when Car Modeler magazine disappeared in like 2000 and maybe four or five, something like that. And that was a really good magazine. You know, it was really sad to see that one go. But we figured, you know, that Scale Auto was going to stick around for a long time just because it was one of the only magazines. And then, you know, obviously mm-hmm. it folded. But, you know, the good thing is we still have... Um, Model Cars magazine, Greg in Hawaii is still keeping it up. And, you know, you got to give that guy major props just because he's had just a series of health issues for the last, shit, 24, 25 years or Dang, something like that. Yeah. A long time, dude. And, yeah. And he actually, you know, he, he bought the magazine from a guy named Roy Sorensen. It was called, oh, what was it called before? So I was getting confused. It was like, car modeler and model car but anyhow he bought that <clears throat> i think it was called it was called plastic fanatic and then he turned it into model car magazine so he bought that started on his own and then he started he got picked up by a publishing company and i think it was called bell publishing i think or something like that they're out of colorado and you know he was with them for 10 15 years and then they said that they're going to drop his line and they're going to drop the hobby side of publishing magazines and so last i heard he was him and his friends were self-funding the publication of that magazine, you know, so, you know, to sit there and pay, it's got to be $10,000 an issue or something like that to put out, to have, you know, all that stuff printed. So I hope he's making his money back, but yeah, I was at Pegasus this weekend and I saw three or four new issues. So I'm glad to see that he's, he's keeping it up, you know, but hopefully he doesn't go away, but you know, even if worse came to worse and he closed down or he shut down the hard copy side of it, I couldn't, that you know i can guarantee he'd keep the digital thing going just because it's a website it's a forum and it's really not costing anything to keep open yeah that's true it's it's trippy because i remember uh going to ventura hobbies and picking up the the model car magazine and i remember those issues not all the pages were like color like some Mm weren't some weren't and then there was like a pause where um, I would ask the owner, like, you know, you got any new issues? The latest one, they're like, no, nah, nothing's coming in. Like, just nothing mm-hmm. was. And he's like, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. So there was no insight. 
And then last year in October, when um, Art Lasky had the uh, his show, the SoCal Open, mm-hmm. um, um, a photographer was there, and, and I'm not sure if that was him. You know, I don't know if if if, he's, okay. if the owner or or the person that was representing the magazine. Uh-huh. I didn't get their name, but um, I did. You know, come over to say hi, and 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 they gave me an issue, oh, okay. uh, one wow. of their latest issues. So I was like, oh, cool. You know, thank you. And it wasn't until I got home where I looked at it. And I was like, yo, this issue is dope. You know, like mm-hmm. every page, full color and everything. And I was like, yo, like this is this is what's going to pretty much fill in that void for uh, yeah. Scale Auto Magazine yeah. not being here. And the articles and, and just, you know, everything that was in there was like really nice and presented. That yeah. I was like, damn, this is so dope. And I don't know. I, I'm I'm sure you know. It's it was just like timing. You know everything. It, it looks like everything. You know is coming together. And and after that, there was other issues that came out. And then you start you start to see uh, like the content and coverage from uh, you know Southern California model builders in there too. Exactly. Which yeah. is awesome. You know, it makes it exciting. You're like, oh yeah. man, this is this is dope. And then I started thinking like, man, when I had when I seen that magazine, I was thinking, man, I, w- I would love to like even offer this magazine in my store to sell yeah. it because even I had even reached out to, um, you know, like Willie and David of Dedicated mm-hmm. Magazine. And, and I was like, hey, whenever, you know, I know they haven't put an issue out yet. They're working on it. But I said for future issues, you know, um, let me yeah, let me get a case or something, you know. I wouldn't mind um, just because, you know, at some point there's going to be someone who, who, you know, probably lives somewhere where there's not a hobby shop or they just mm-hmm. don't have the access or, or maybe are unaware that the issues are out there. And if I have, you know, access to it and I could just, you know, put it all together in an order, that would be pretty cool. Exactly. No, you know. for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. You know, kind of back to Model Cars magazine. What I really like about Greg's magazine is everybody that contributes to it are all model car builders, you know, and that's the one thing. And they all have a passion for the hobby. I mean, you look at, I was flipping through it a couple days ago when I was at Pegasus and I saw this name I hadn't seen in a long time. This guy named Scott Colmer. God, he's a great builder. I don't know what, you know, I just kind of, he kind of just disappeared. Hadn't seen the name and kind of just forgot about him, but it was great to see an article by him because I remember talking to him when I worked at Pegasus and, you know, he was a passionate model builder, very talented, but just all the names, everybody that contributes to that magazine, all do it for, you know, for the passion of it. And I remember when Scale Auto got acquired by a company called Combat Publishing. When that happened, it all became corporate. And it was just, they were recycling articles over and over again, how to bare metal, how to paint, which is good. You know, there's people that, that are just getting to the hobby. So if that's, you know, your time to get into it, you see that magazine, that article, that's great. But it seemed like you can see that there really was no passion. It was just something to sell advertising, you know, selling advertising, slot cars, advertising, you know, some things are kind of hobby related. But for the most part, it just became almost like this advertising catalog. Now, and I know you have to have advertising to yeah. pay for it. But basically, <laughs> my feeling what when they got absorbed by Kambach was they really didn't care much, too much about modelers. It was just, I mean, I'm not saying that the staff didn't, but it was the the parent company that owned it was yeah. just like try to make money with this magazine here. And I will tell you something. So there's a, here's kind of a hobby insider. Why a lot of hob, mom and pop hobby shops didn't carry scale auto enthusiast magazine and fine scale modeler. So people would always ask, they'd go to Pegasus anytime after like 1999 or 2000. 
do you carry, you know, scale audit? Do you carry any of the Kambach publishing magazines? No, we don't. And so I was there when Pegasus and a lot of hobby shops across the United States kind of got together and boycotted that magazine because when they got absorbed by, by Kambach publishing, this would have been maybe around 99, 2000, <clears throat> there was this campaign for this hobby shop or for this online hobby shop. I'll never forget the name. And a lot of the people that I worked with at Pegasus went on to this place and they all worked for the company. They told me how great it was. They said I should work with them. And within a year, the company was bankrupt and they were jobless. And so this company was called eHobby. And so Combat, Combat actually struck a deal with them. Anytime anybody had any questions, whether it was via email or just a, you know, a handwritten letter that they would mail in asking certain questions, they were going to refer them to eHobby. And they're going to say, talk to eHobby. eHobby will take care of you. So basically, eHobby was paying them to, to send all any kind of inquiries about any kind of a hobby to them, right? So mom and pop hobby shops said, wait, hold on a second. We've been carrying your magazine for the last 10, 15, 20 years. And now you're going to take all the business away from us and direct it to this online retailer that went out of business in a year? No, bullshit. So, so all the hobby shops quit carrying them. And I remember I was I actually had picked up the phone and Kambach Publishing had picked, uh, called up and it was some salesperson and they were saying, hey, you know, I'm such and such from Kambach Publishing. I'm wondering if we can interest you in carrying Scale Auto Enthusiast magazine. And so I remember telling the person exactly why. And that person agreed. They said, you know what, you're, you're right. You know, that person wasn't there when that happened, but he agreed. He said, that's wrong. They shouldn't have done that. And so, yeah. So, you know, Pegasus never carried Scale Auto or any of those Kambach Publishing magazines after that and a lot of hobby shops didn't it was wrong you know they were trying to basically just cater to this big online hobby retailer that was trying to take over everything but that whole thing failed in the year or so <laughs> you know back to square one and they lost you know they lost their clientele and honestly i didn't really read scale auto after that kind of left nasty taste in my mouth and i would flip through at barnes and nobles but i rarely ever bought it after that yeah. you know most of the scale autos i got were free and then just you know never got around to just buying them and now here I am, buy them on eBay. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's crazy because you're right. Like some of the books, eventually you go, man, what am I buying? A phone book? It's yep. just a ton of advertisement, numbers, exactly. websites. And you're like, what's going on? Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. It, 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 um, like before Scale Auto was like out of the picture, right? I remember um, back around that time too, when Lowrider Magazine also announced that they were going to stop uh, publishing the book. Yes. And I was like, you know, when I saw that out, you know, everyone's like, yo, like, that's it. They're done. It's over. And make sure you buy up the issues or people were posting like throwback Thursday and posting yeah. all the, you know, I've been here since day one, you know, yeah. like issues from the eighties throughout the nineties and so forth. And I remember, you know, there was a time where I was buying like the latest books that were coming out. I would hit up like the the local CVS or a 7-Eleven or a Walgreens and yeah. and they would have an issue but I I started to notice um you know like a change in the magazine you know I I started to notice that the the book obviously it wasn't as thick as like the ones in the 90s yeah you know like tons of advertisements for rims and and other services but this magazine, it was just like, all right, cool. They're getting to the point. They're showing you the cars. You know, yeah. they're, they're explaining, you know, or they're showing you now, like, the owners. 
and and you do see the the change you know they're not showing any like women in bikinis or anything like exactly, that yeah. it was more like a family thing they're showing yeah, them with exactly. the family all right cool that that's cool but then the books uh started to change the quality started to change and yeah. and why and i remember buying an issue and flipping through the page and I, and I was like yo when when i flipped the page i could already see through the other page like it's really <laughs> really thin you know and yeah, I remember it was like picking up, up like a couple pieces of tissue paper. <laughs> yeah, dude. And it was like, uh, I don't know. It just looked pixelated. It looked kind of weird. I yeah. was like, this just doesn't look right, you know, for the price that you're paying. And then, you know, whenever I would ask people like, hey, what's up with this book or what's up, you know? And, you know, I, I would just get answers like, oh, I think another like publisher company acquired them or or they keep getting sold. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, oh man, and then finally, you know, it just like was a big change where it went from you know the book physical copies to now this is the last issue of Lowrider, and everything mm-hmm. is basically just gonna be like showcased online or on Instagram. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I was like, man, like I mean, I know for sure, you know, magazines aren't gonna last forever once it gets like super corporate. Um, because the people, you know, that make those decisions, they have really no connection to it. Exactly. For them, it's just like making money. Like how much money is this going to, going to make me? And if this product doesn't move fast, then we got to get rid of it. Exactly. You know, and and it's a trip. So when that happened, I kind of felt like scale auto might, you know, do that move, stay online or, or that way. But then once it was like completely gone, I was like, dang. And I remember there was some articles where, um, I would always go online or on their message board to find out about um, like doing like uh, roof, like chop tops and and all these um, like just different cuts right on a car. Mm-hmm. And all those articles were gone. Yeah. Like it's almost like they just hit like delete or something and everything was just gone. Gone. Like, everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Dude. Yeah. And I was like, damn, that, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. I, I felt like like they kind of showed their colors there towards the end of like, okay, there's no passion in it. Let's just delete all of our content now. You know, if we're not going to make money off of it, it's, we don't even care anymore, you know? And it's not like they could have said, you know what, we're, we're just going to keep the forum going. Maybe we'll just close it where nobody can post anymore, but people can go back and read these old threads and, you know, get something out of it. But it's just like, no, we're just going to shut everything down and close it off and just call it a day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, you definitely um, need to get, um, you know, people that are, are passionate and especially, yeah. you know, with what's going on with uh, the Model Cars magazine, for sure. That's that's pretty awesome, man. I'm I'm happy yeah. to hear. I, I didn't know that everybody, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, they're probably just like old friends coming together, putting all this together for the passion. Yeah. No, if you ever like if you ever look at the names of the people who contribute to it, those names you'll see or at least you would have seen in, you know, the days of scale auto enthusiast model car magazine or any of these other ones, you know, it, it goes far back. I mean, you look at the, the list of the people that have contributed to that magazine and everywhere from Daryl Gasol, he's the one that would help put on the San Diego show to Jairus Watson, who does these really nice artist renderings. Um, just all these people. And it just goes on and on. And you look at that. And you're just like, man, this is kind of a who's who magazine. And I don't think people ever realize like, the amount of talent that's in that magazine. I mean, it's like some people are just looking and go, ah, it's just a small little, like, you know, almost like, like a, like a little fanzine in a way, 
but then you start looking at it it's just like no these people are very talented you know same thing with like lowrider bike magazine you know when it first came around before before the end you know it's just you had nathan nathan trujillo who was you know a good photographer and really nice guy and really had a passion for for kind of showcasing all these young kids back then and i remember seeing him going from show to show and you know interviewing these people taking pictures of people's models and stuff and you can tell he really his heart was in it you know every time i would see him i used to just be my friends that just you know kind of just pastor him because we we're just kids but it's like you can stop nathan and talk to him back then and towards the end i mean i don't really know what happened right about magazine i really didn't buy any towards the last like maybe year that that it was around but the very beginning of it when nathan was there and it was owned by park avenue publishing they did it just because you know they knew that that there was these young people who at some point were going to get into the you know actual lowrider scene but they were kind of just getting started with just building models and bikes and there was you could see the passion was there in that in that magazine you can tell they weren't doing it for money you know it was just a small it was almost just like you know, it was obviously like the little brother to Laura magazine. And it was just, you can see that there was not a lot of advertising there. And it was just all bikes and models. And yeah, people can buy advertising space, but it was that, I don't think that was ever like the real intention was to try to make a ton of money from it. And then towards the end of it, you saw it. Yeah, they're definitely trying to make more money. But I think that's when it was bought out by, I think, um, I forgot the name of the publishing company, but after they acquired it, you can definitely see the difference because then all of a sudden there's all this advertising there for things that weren't really related to the hobby industry or lower bikes or anything like that. It's a, it's a trip because um, I feel like, you know, like you said, like the, like he was very passionate, like all in. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember doing like some videos on YouTube, like where I'm going through each issue, mm-hmm. um, like in, in each episode. And, and I always, in the beginning, when I opened up the book, I would show the uh, like everybody that was involved that they would list the exactly. names like in the book, yeah. and you and you do see the names like pretty often, right? Like that's yeah. the, that's the core team right there that's yeah. making this this magazine happen. And even um, when you look at those covers, like the ones that had like David Anthony Garcia on the covers um, with his builds and the bicycle, like everything seemed like it just matched. Right? So it did. No, nope, it did. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it, it's something that like you're. It, it pops to your eye when you see it, especially on a stand, like you see mm-hmm. it at a store, you know, you're, yeah. you're going to, it's going to catch your eye to want to open up that book or buy it. And, um, you know, later, it's just crazy how you start to see like the evolution, right? Like on the covers and, and just the features. And then, you know, it starts to head into another direction. And it's, it's a trip because I, I noticed that a lot in different entities. Mm-hmm. Like, like I still remember, um, just to kind of go off, <laughs> go off into a little tangent, like it's like GA Joe's, right? Mm-hmm. It, it was like very, you know, in the beginning. Um, and I'm talking about like the '80s, like the cartoons, not like the '60s, oh, yeah. but like the '80s cartoon, and then even the comic book. You know, it was like, all right, you had all these like military characters that were they had their specialties at what they were good at, and even the colors. You know, there were really basic colors, like just you know your standard green with some black or brown. And then as, as like the years went on, you know, you start going into the nineties, all the colors changed. It started getting super colorful, right? That's true. Yeah. And then later neon colors started to become more of a thing. And by the end of that line, what killed it was pretty much the end of it 
was they got too it got too bizarre where now they're they're fighting aliens. Yeah, and there's all these <laughs> it went from like having like military soldiers to like aliens later. That's a really good analogy. And, yeah, that's 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 Lauren Bike magazine. That's a lot of those magazines. <laughs> and like that was it. It was like, wait a minute, I have no connection to an alien. Like Yeah. Like I'm not gonna buy that toy that's on that peg. You know, with the dude has like six arms or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, man, I, w- I wanted to buy this other character that looks like really badass. He comes with like a sawed off shotgun or whatever, you know, yeah. and I don't know. It was just a trip. But, you know, I, I see that happen sometimes with certain entities where I go, what the what the heck? And yeah, what happened here? Yeah. And, you know, when when I was buying some of the issues, even I mean, I haven't even looked right now at this point, but. I want to say maybe like a couple of years ago, I would go on eBay and I started looking up back issues of mm-hmm. Lighter Bicycle Magazine, ho- hoping to, uh, you know, get and fill in those, those, uh, the gaps. Right. Yeah. And then I start to see some covers that I'm like, yo, I, I never even ever seen this cover before. Or like, exactly. Man, this looks super weird. <laughs> yeah, like, that's when it got taken over by somebody else. It got really weird. Yeah, and I was like, nah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not even sure because, you know, I'm all sliding through the photos hoping that they show some auto cars. But yeah. they're just showing you, like, a few pages and it's mostly bikes. And I'm going like, nah, I don't think that's going to be, like, a solid issue to, either, yeah, to exactly. even spend so much money on it. Like, I might not even get that many cars in there to see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember that That the reason I stopped buying it was kind of you're saying, like, I, there's no, that's really a way to put it. There's no connection to it. So. When Lowrider Bike Magazine came first came out, I remember reading an article in what this newspaper that was around our area. It's called the Progress Daily Bulletin or something like that. And I remember they had an interview with Alberto Lopez, the publisher of, of Lowrider Magazine, when it was owned by Park Avenue Publishing. And I remember him talking about they're going to come out with a Lowrider Bike Magazine for kids. And I remember I was like 12 or 13 when I read it, and I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. And so to your point there was a connection there. So it's like, I was building models at the time and I had a Loretta bike and I still have that same Loretta bike. It's in my garage and I could ride that Loretta bike. And I remember reading Loretta bike magazine throughout the years in high school, I would read it. And then as I got older, I started looking and I'm like, okay, I see the model cars and I can tell the model car section is really starting to shrink. Now they're showing you weird, goofy things. But then I'm like, these bikes I have no connection to this. There's a, a bike that looks like Wolverine. I, I don't know what's going on here. You know, it's just really <laughs> weird. Yeah, there's like, yeah, it had like, um, yeah, it had like the Wolverine glove for the jumping forks or whatever. I'm like, all right, this is, this is really not for me anymore. You know, there used to be bikes and now it's, just, and I'm, I'm not knocking the bikes because to me, though, I mean, they're like art pieces, but I was already older then. So it's like, well, when I was a kid, it was, you know, a bicycle. So, but I remember thinking like, well, I don't see a bike here anymore and the model section has changed a lot you know they're not really showing you or the other thing too is too they're showing builders that i really couldn't relate to either or didn't see anymore because you know when i first got into i remember like i remember the first issue when it first came out i was actually at this this liquor store by, by my parents house and i remember i went in there to buy a bomb pop you know and i remember standing in line and i just saw it I, I'll, I'll never forget like you're talking about the cover i remember just staring at it and it had claim jumper and it had this brown 64 Impala convertible. And I remember just staring at it. And I was like, holy shit. It finally came out. And I went home and I asked my mom for a few bucks. And I bought that cover, that that issue. And I remember reading it cover to cover every day for weeks and weeks. And so this would have been, I forgot when it was. But anyway, so at that time, Thump Records, who was owned by Park Avenue Publishing, Lauder Magazine, 
they would always have these stands over at the Alley County Fair. And I remember I was at the Alley County Fair and my mom says, hey, if you want, I know you already wore out that issue. That was the first issue. You should go back and buy more first issues. So I took your advice and I still have those first issues in the garage. That's cool. Yeah, I, I bought a bunch of them. And then, so, you know, I remember just reading it and just seeing all these builders, right? And I just couldn't even believe that that was possible. I'm like, what the hell? I've never seen anything like this because, you know, we didn't have the internet back then. And then I remember at that time, that's when I first actually, yeah. So when that magazine first came out, I discovered Pegasus. I was in the Loretta bike. So everything really just kind of meshed together. I just couldn't believe it. I remember going to Pegasus, showing them the models in that magazine, and then having Mike Flynn, rest in peace, he was my mentor. He showed me, he says, you want to build models like that? I can show you how to build models like this and even better, you know, because he was so far ahead. I mean, he was really machining parts back then. And so he really took the time to show me how to do stuff. And I remember just thinking, man, this is crazy. I can never be, you know, that good. Long story short, I the second issue of Lord of Bike magazine, because of his influence, I had a picture in the second issue. And I remember being at the same liquor store and we bought, me and my friend went to the, the store, rode our Lord of Bikes, got the second issue. And I remember he took it from my hands and he's flipping through it. And he goes, oh my God, Joe, your car's in this magazine. And he showed it to me and I remember almost fell. I remember literally sitting on the curb in front of the liquor store, <laughs> putting my hands between my, 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 putting my hands between my, like my face and my knee. And I was just shaking. I couldn't even believe it, you know. Damn. Here's the second issue of Laura Bike Magazine. And my car is in there with all these greats, with all the names that I would recognize. You know, I just couldn't believe it. I'm just like, holy shit. <laughs> and it was the show. And I remember that show. That's when I first saw what these, what all the, like the big name builders were. I mean, everybody from like, you know, I remember like seeing Jarvis Malone and Todd Anderson, Armando Flores, uh, Barry Garcia, David, Anthony Garcia all those people and then seeing them in person to me, those are rock stars. When they walked in, I could not believe them. Like, Holy shit. You know? And I remember for like some of those people to say hi to me, I remember David Anthony Garcia said, what's up to me. I, to me, that was like Elvis Presley or Michael Jackson saying hi to you. Yeah. You know, that just fucking, I, I'll never forget that floored me. You know, I just to get recognized among these people, but, but yeah, but so it's, there was always a connection there, but towards the end, like you said, it evolved where it just kind of just got out of it where, I wanted to support the magazine, but I personally didn't have a connection, but it doesn't mean I wanted it to go away because then there was going to be somebody younger that came in at that time and they had a connection with it. But, you know, unfortunately that magazine didn't live on and, you know, now it's kind of history. Yeah. And yeah, cause it's a trip how, you know, there, like there was a period, even in the magazine, in the back pages, it turned into like a little comic book section with the yeah, lawyer bikes. That too. Yeah. <laughs> like dudes, like just like fighting, I, I don't know, like, just being vigilantes or something. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, you, you could you could think, man, they, they could have used these pages, you know, to uh, exactly. to use cars or, or, or squeeze some of that in there. But yeah. but then again, they probably would have used them for advertisement or something at that, yeah, at that point, you know. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine, bro, like, whenever I see, you know, like, the photos of the books it's like a time machine whenever i go into it is, it really is, yeah and i see it but like you like you pretty much you live that you are around these guys you got to you know i know for sure for you it's like a different nostalgic experience oh big time yeah you know when when you see all that stuff and i mean the the issues that i was buying 
back then, you know, and then be living in Oxnard, I was very unaware of um, like the things that were going on, like out in LA or in Anaheim mm -hmm. or, you know, wherever there was a show. But what tripped me out was when I read, when I finally got my hands on issue number one mm -hmm. and, and I started, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to read this, this issue. Th there's a section where they uh, do the, the coverage of a model car show. Yeah. And it just kind of blew my mind because in there they were doing a model car and it was the model fest. Yeah. And that was put by Ventura Hobbies, but I believe it was being done in a different city in Ventura oh, County, uh -huh. but, but just, but not in Ventura. It was, I can't remember. I don't know if it was Westlake or, or Thousand Oaks, but okay. I know it was like, it was like, um, like next to Camarillo or so. But okay. but it just it seeing something like that, I was like, oh my god! Like right there to me, it's almost like because I grew up in that county, it, it's just mm -hmm. you know automatic. Like oh, it's like history, right? Exactly. Yeah. But then now that I'm like, you know, I, I met all you guys, and I'm living, you know, even closer to you guys. I mean, we're not really that far from each other. You yeah, know? we're not. No. And but it's just kind of cool, like you know, throughout the years seeing each other at shows interacting with each other on the internet, on Instagram, and just seeing everybody still like building and just, you know, getting into and keeping your mind busy. It's, there's more of a connection. And then like you said, like, you know, David Anthony Garcia saying, what's up to you. It's like, you know, like if Michael Jackson said hi to you, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, even though I just met him, let's say like two years ago or three years ago, I, I know what you mean. Like, I feel that, yeah. you know? With yeah, a lot of these guys, because you look at these magazines and you go, damn, like they were, they were paving the way back in the exactly. day. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I remember, I mean, David Anthony Garcia, everybody knows he's a talented, I mean, he's talented in so many ways. There's just, he, nobody can ever deny it. But what he did for model cars back then, I mean, there's like some people that just really changed stuff, you know, and he's one of them. I mean, he just, the stuff he came out with was way ahead of its time. I mean, hand painting murals, tilt friend, all kinds of stuff. You're like, holy shit. You know, you had him and and then you had Barry Garcia with his dancing truck. And just I remember just seeing all that thinking, man, this is changing every like so Lorena Mike magazine came out four times a year, it was supposed to. And it seemed like in every in every issue, which would have been, you know, every three months or so, the progression of modeling from one issue to the next is just going through the roof, man. I couldn't even believe it. I'm like, okay, first it's just hand painting like the undercarriage. And now it's really chrome, you know, it's electroplated chrome. And now it's got, you know, machine stuff. Armando Florian him machining like brass parts and like these Delron wheels. And just, and that's, you know, around the time when I met Mike Flynn, he's saying, you know, say, no, you got to do is you got to machine parts. I'm, you know, I'm 13 years old. I don't know how to machine. So I don't even know what a lathe is, you know, and him, allowing me to you know go to his house at some point and then making parts on his lathe you know as, as a kid you're just like wow this is you know something else and then just seeing the evolution of modeling from that point you know it's just it's crazy just in that small window from you know like 93 or so to like 99 how much it's changed but then with instagram seeing it change even more and then now with you know with the dances that people are doing with you know jerry style hydraulics that back then that was Nobody even thought about that. You know, we're using like bobby pins and U-bars and stuff made from coat hangers. No one ever thought about, you know, the stuff that Jerry's is doing with with independent, you know, basically making it look like a real car. I mean, to me, it's that guy, you know, he's another one of those guys that's just changed the hobby forever. You know, it's like it'll never be the same because of him and the contributions he's made to it. Just 
you know, the stuff that he's done, it's stuff that never, nobody ever thought was possible or that could ever be done. You know, having a full interior motor and everything in the car has hydraulics. It's like, well, where are you hiding all this stuff? You know, it was almost like magic. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And you know how, how you had just said, you know, back in the day, Mike Flynn had told you, you know, you got to be machining and stuff. Yeah. Fast forward to now, you know, you, you're doing that now. You have your lathe and... And at the same time, it, it's like you never stop learning, you know? Exactly. You keep, you keep creating, you know, you run into a problem, but then you you find a solution. But as your process that you're working, you know, when you're there in, in your workspace, working by yourself and creating this, um, do you think about him? Do you, do you like, have him in mind in those moments when you're doing that? All the time. The one thing, so it's going to sound funny, I always remember his breath because he smoked a shitload of cigarettes at the time and he always drank pepsi and it was just like somebody dumping like bong water all over your yeah i remember him <laughs> right i remember his bad breath but he was always saying joe it's just a number it's just a number it's all just a number and honestly that always comes to mind so him saying that to me when you know when i was young when i was like 14 50s it's just a number i'm just some dumb kid i don't know what he means by that you know it's just that's all he would say it's just a number it's just a number but as I got older and I started machining stuff, I know exactly what he means now. So his whole thing to me is, and this is one of the last conversations that we're having. He and I spoke for like almost well over two hours. And we were just, I was just getting more pointers about machining certain parts. And he was telling me, he says, just what, what, what is the part that you'd like to machine right now? And I was telling him, you know, well, I want to machine, I want to machine this lid for like an oil can. And he's like, all right, what does it look like? I'm like, well, it's round. And you know, it's stepped and stuff like that. And he's like, okay, what you do is don't ever think about it as a part. What you want to do is, and this, you know, it's kind of like what my, I think it was Michelangelo was the one that said this, where, where you, the sculpture is already there. You just have to remove marble to reveal it. And that was Mike's thing was the parts already there. The parts already in that styrene. You just have to know what to remove to make that part. And then I remember him telling me about that. I'm like, wow, that really dawned on me. So like, for instance, like, you know, I, you know, the hydraulic pumps that I machine, it was, it became really easy for me to machine those, you know, after he was telling me stuff like that, because it's like, you have, you know, something round or square and you want, you want it to be square in the middle. So you remove this material. And then on this side, you want to remove 40 thousandths from this side. And now you want to remove 80 thousandths from this side and make it this length. And it's kind of what Mike was saying. It's just a number. You have to just look at it and just see how much of how much of a number you have to remove from each side or wherever you want to make that piece. And, you know, it all dawned on me. It's just like he's so right. It's all just a number. You know, when you're scaling something, you just, you know, take it and divide it by 125th. Or, you know, if you want to drill, if you want to do some cuts or, you know, something on on your rotary table on your mill, you just if you want to put five cuts, you just divide it by 360, you know, and it's just, it's, he's right. You know, it's just a number, but yeah, his, he's always going on in the background. I could always hear him in the background. And then there was another guy named Jack Davis who's a really well-known model builder. He was also in Lord of bike magazine. I think he was in the second issue. And I remember him, he would always just say, well, he would say um, something like do it until you screw it up. And if you screw it up, don't show anybody Just start all over again with a new one. <laughs> you know, it's, it's true he says no, no one knows you screwed it up you know he, he would always say you screw up three or four and you know and then finally somebody's going to see the fifth one there and fourth one that was right and no one knows about the ones you screwed up you don't tell them and i'm like oh that's right you know so 
I try not to scoop anymore because model kits are so expensive. But no, yeah, that's pretty cool though. I'm, damn, that when you were talking about Mike, what he was saying, like, don't think about it as a part. Like, just think about what is it, you know, like what is it that you have to remove? Yeah, it was like as you were saying that, I was just like just picturing various things, you know, even wh- whatever's like in front of me, looking yeah. at it as like a like a solid item. Yeah. And, and already visualizing like, all right, inside of this item is what I want. So yeah. I just basically got to carve out and move this there and get this out, you know, like subtracting and then bam, there it is. Um, exactly. Man, that's pretty cool. I'm sure for the listeners, you know, people that are working hands on on things, it, they're going to they're going to trip out. I mean, even right now, I'm like, what the heck? Like, yeah, I never yeah, I never looked at it like that. I would probably be looking at it as like, oh, I want to make this part, you yeah. know? Yeah, his whole thing is don't ever look at it as a part that you want to make. Look at it as what what steps you have to do to remove what steps, yeah, what you have to remove to make that part. So I remember one time he was making a fuel pump. We were in his garage and we were making he was trying to machine a little fuel pump and he set this block, I'll never feel it's eighth inch by eighth inch aluminum, and he set it down on the table. He goes, I have to figure out how to get an aluminum pump, or I have to figure out how to get like an, I don't know if it was a, a fuel pump or something out of this and he was like well it looks like i need to take this square piece and make it round right now and he just puts it in his his lathe and made it round and then put it back in the mill and cut this part off and cut that part off and you can see the process of what he's talking about you're just removing numbers you know you're going to remove a sixteenth of an inch from here you know twenty thousandths from here and that's all you're basically doing you know and it's you know it's almost like it's almost like uh, like a mental cnc game where it's like you're programming your mind to remove, you know, basically just decimals or fractions, whatever you want to go with from certain parts of an overall part. And then, you know, just keep removing stuff until you get to that part. And to me, that just kind of just blew me away. It was kind of an eye opener, but I didn't understand it when I was younger. It just, I'm like, I don't, you know, I'm not in school. I don't want to know about math right now, but then you get older and you just realize, <laughs> oh yeah, it makes total sense. You're just adding stuff and then you're going to remove it. You know, yeah. just his his problem solving too. You know, he would always keep walking through these steps that were so easy. I mean, see, so one of the easiest things, and I'll I'll explain this to you. So let's see if I can make it vivid. I mean, it, it'll be easier. Maybe what I can do is do a step by step thing, and then you can post it on your Instagram. But for instance, I wanted to fill in these holes in a model, right? And I was telling that every time I fill it in with either crazy glue or putty, I have to keep sanding it, <clears throat> and then. I can sand it, do all this work, and then shoot some primer. And back then, we're using house a color primer. We'd shoot the primer on it, and wherever you did body work, you would always see it. And I'm like, well, what the hell? I just fill this in, and now I can see the spot where I fill in that hole. So what he would, what he told me to do, and this is genius, I never thought about this, and this is what I do all the time when I'm filling stuff in. Take a piece of sprue, you hold it over a candle or a lighter, and you stretch it, right? And as you're stretching it, it starts to taper off, right? So it's getting real thin, 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 right? But it, just think of it as almost like a, it's cone shape, right? Mm-hmm. And so what you do is you just cut in the middle, and then you put some liquid cement inside that hole you're going to fill in. And then you take that piece that you stretched, and you push it all the way in until it completely stops, right? And then you just let it dry overnight, and then you clip it flush, and then you sand it. So what you've done was you've taken styrene and filled in a hole with more styrene, that's bonded with liquid cement so basically fuses and it fills it in with more plastic so you have no putty to use damn that's dope that's yeah cool. and when he, sh- he showed me that in person I'll, I'll, I'll you know i can maybe create something and show 
show your your listeners you know you want to post on instagram yeah yeah no yeah for sure yeah Yeah, because i could see that no it's very helpful because you know (laughs) going back to what you're saying about you know using the primer and then you're like wait a minute why is it still showing up yeah i've I've had that issue happen with glue you know where even even one of the uh the the latest aoshima gtrs that i was working on that i just already painted um in in the bumper in the back it had like holes right yeah and and i was like uh like i don't i don't i'm not gonna leave it with holes like i want to fill up those holes yeah so you know i put glue and stuff i sanded it i'm like all right smooth and i would primer it and i'm like oh it's gone it's fine but then the minute i added the paint they they crept up they popped up and even now, like, I mean, I cleared it. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let it bother me. It's done. Yeah, exactly. I, I yeah. learned from it. You know, I'll, I'll look at it and I'll, I need to find another way, you know, to fix that in yeah. the future for another build. But whenever I look at it, I could see that in there, you know, whenever yeah. like I put it against the light or the sun, yeah, I could see those little marks right there. And I'm like thinking, dang, but this is different this other way. Um, I've never tried anything like that, but I yeah. can see how I'll, that that'll definitely work. I'll do something. I'll uh, I'll drill a hole in a nice body and show you how I filled it in, and you can do it. You know, I'll show you step by step, and you can post on your website so your listeners can can see what I mean. But it it works and it's flawless. You know, so that thirty model A, it actually has these weird like it's almost like half round holes in the body. So what I did was I actually took a bigger drill bit and drilled a huge hole over each one, and then I filled it in with with this tapered rod method and filled everything in and it worked fine the other thing too that i've been doing lately and you know it's it's up to to the builder if they want to experiment with this but it's worked for me what i do is whenever i'm doing body work i always put a, a light or not light but put kind of a heavy coat of createx auto air they make these these colors called auto air sealers and what i do is after i'm done doing body work i'll spray some of that over the body work polish it and then you can put to me a primer automotive primer over it and it doesn't it doesn't create any of those or it basically gets rid of any of those ghosting issues with stuff coming back out. Ooh, nice. Is that yeah. what you call it? The go like ghosting issue? Ghosting, yeah. Ghosting, yeah. Mm, I never heard of that. But yeah. that's that's good because I always wondered like, you know, like what should I call this? Because yeah, you know, that that happened to me a while back uh with a, a fifty seven uh Bel Air, mm-hmm. like a curbside that I did for because I was gonna go to NNL West. Okay. And I was like you know, I think I had like a month and I was like, I wasn't going to take anything. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, you know what? You know, I should just take something. All my friends are bringing something. You know, why not? And I started, I just basically opened up a kit that I had already previously had been working on. Yeah. And I mean, it was just some some final like sanding touches and I just had to lay paint. And I was like, I'm not going to do nothing crazy. Just one solid color, like a, like a pearl lavender color on it. Mm-hmm. And... When I painted that, um, there was a lot of that ghosting that came up, yeah. especially with the emblems that I had. Oh yeah, sand, yes. sanded off because I want. I was trying to do like a like a clean, I guess, custom like custom, re- yeah. removing the emblems, removing any any kind of like chrome trim from it. But you could mm-hmm. see, you could see in there all the ghosting still. Yeah, and so I was the way like, damn. What I've done to get rid of that problem too is polish it start with like maybe like 3600 grit and go all the way to 12,000 grit that alone really helps minimize any of that and then you give it a coat of this this createx or what's it's it's the createx brand but it's it's their automotive line it's called um autoborn sealer and put some of that over and it works great that autoborn sealer and i know 
I know I'm always going on about how good Createx paint is, you know, because I, I personally like it because ever since I had, and you know, ever since I had my kid, it's hard to to find time to spray or to do stuff in the backyard and spray like these, you know, pretty toxic paints and stuff. And yeah, she's older now, so she just kind of just goes away. But I really got used to using these Createx paints when she was an infant toddler because I spray them in my man cave inside my spray booth. You know, it has the, the hose that sprays it out the window, but there's no odor. That 30 Model A that I just painted, it was primered, painted, and clear-coated in less than probably maybe less than 45 minutes. Dang, and that was that fast. was yeah, that was using, I'll be honest with you, it was it was actually still sticky when I put the automotive clear over it. <laughs> it was still <laughs> sticky. And so what happened was I put in my food dehydrator, I pulled it out, and I'm like, oh, that's still kind of sticky. Well, I already mixed up the clear, so let's just give it a shot and see what happens. And it actually came out great, you know, it was mm-hmm. great. But that Createx paint, man, it's really forgiving stuff. You know, you're kind of limited. It, it's harder if you're going to shoot a lot of graphics and stuff. I have one body that I painted some graphics, and it's fine. But you start getting something called edging, or um, I think, yeah, it's called edging, or some people call it shelving, where you start putting coat after coat, and it starts to build up. And you can color sand, and it's fine. But it's just, it's a little bit thicker than House of Color, some of the other the automotive colors. So it makes it hard to shoot different graphics and stuff. It still works fine. But, yeah, you can put polyurethane clear over it, and, you can paint a car in uh, 45 minutes, you know, with the mm. food dehydrator. Just spray it. What I do is I just spray the primer first. I always use Vallejo primer. It's kind of like my base primer. Throw that in the food dehydrator, and then, like, in 10, 15 minutes, it's cured. And then if there's any any imperfections, you can color sand it and then, you know, do that in the sink and then throw it back in the food dehydrator for a minute. The water evaporates. And then you go ahead and put your Audubon sealer and let that sit for, like, 5, 10 minutes and then put your paint, and, you know. And honestly, I was just trying to get this thing done. And originally, I was going to do it kind of like in a in a satin finish. But I figured, you know, if I put this much work into it, why even just go satin? I might as well just go gloss. And that's when I just mix up some of that polyurethane clear and just shot it there. Yeah, man, that's pretty dope. And and this build here that that you're working on, any plans of hopefully uh, bringing it out to the? Uh, I mean, I'm not sure. I know you're busy, but hopefully, you could bring it out to the uh, to the SoCal Open in May. Yeah, definitely. That's kind of the plan with it. I definitely want to try to take it to that show. You know, if, if all if everything works, I'll definitely try to make it to that one. If not, I've got another model, uh, 29 model. Well, see, I've got I've got the red model A that I'm working on alongside this one. I'm, I started that one about a year ago. I'm just trying to get it finished now. <clears throat> so I've got that one, the red model A, and I've got the, the model A coupe, and then I've got that Mobius truck. And I'm trying to get those done. And then I'm actually collecting parts and getting stuff ready because I want to build a high tech hot rod from like the early nineties where they had like a lot of aluminum, those cheesy 15 inch aluminum wheels and stuff like that. Something painted maybe like a pastel blue. And the idea came to me because I was just thinking how, you know, the, the, the nostalgia hot rod or, or like the, the vintage hot rod is real popular now. Right. And it seems like it's here to stay. But one day I was thinking, wow, that's really weird because, because, the the vintage hot rod thing now that you know that obviously came around anywhere from like pre World War II post World War II and then sixties and seventies it was getting kind of crazy and then the eighties and nineties it got really futuristic with pastel colors and stuff like that but I was it just kind of dawned on me that now the vintage stuff from the early nineties is we're as far away from that now as as the true hot rods were from the fifties to the eighties. So, you know, it's like basically 30 years. So like 30 years from like the fifties to the eighties, and then from the nineties or eighties to about 
early 2000s. You know, it's like 30 years or so, give or take some years. But basically, it's it's the same time difference, you know, if you kind of get what I'm saying, though. Mm-hmm. So I thought it'd be fun to just build something. I mean, it's not really my style. I'm not really into, like, the high-tech hot rods from the early 90s. But I, I think it'll just be cool just to build a model of one and just do something period perfect from the early 90s. Because, you know, there's something kind of cool about them. It's not my style. But I just remember going to a lot of these the good guys shows and like all the street rod events around around my town and just seeing like these baby blue hot rods with like 50 inch void wheels and everything was billet aluminum billet aluminum tail lights and pedals everything in the engine was just polished aluminum and then they just they were just kind of just really monochromatic and i think i'm gonna build something like that just for fun yeah man that'd be pretty dope to see something like that yeah, I'm hoping to see you. Uh, I'll be there for sure. I'll be vending at oh, that good. show. At the, good. Yeah, I hope to make it there. The the Soka Hopin. But, you know, dur- during this whole time, you know, with the, you know, you've been, you know, going back to like the monster trucks, but then you've been keeping yourself pretty busy um, building models. It's just you just haven't been posting anything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. M- mostly because I just tend to start a lot of stuff like all of us do. And I just didn't want to bore people who follow my page with like, oh, look, he started another model. <laughs> Whatever happened to that model? You know, they just they just kind of just disappeared. They're, they're kind of like pilot episodes for shows like, oh, he started that one and nothing ever happened, you know. <laughs> and so I just figured I just told myself, you know what, no, I'm not going to bo- waste people's time anymore. So if I'm going to post pictures, it's going to be stuff that is going to get finished. So but yeah, so like this model, obviously, it's going to get finished. And painting is the, the big thing. I can build stuff all day long, but then if I'm painting it and I ruin it, then build doesn't go anywhere. So I just figured from now on, you know, I have to make sure everything's painted before I really start posting a lot about it. And then I've got some other kits that I'm working on, though. Like I said, I'm building a replica of a 63 Impala for somebody. Um, I'm gathering parts for that 29, but I'm also working on an eight scale T bucket. You know, I'm machining parts here and there for it. I've got a couple airplane kits that I've been working on. So yeah, I'm staying pretty busy. You know, it's when I'm not out here for work. I'm at home, you know, obviously. And then at night, I just love to just my, my relaxing thing, kind of like you, you know, when the family goes to sleep, I just like to just go in my man cave, put on Netflix low and I just will find something to mess with, you know, but yeah. yeah so, so, so the stuff that I'm posting right now, obviously is the stuff that I know is going to get finished, but there's other stuff in the works too. And, you know, hopefully I can take them to the show at some point. Right on. You know, um, not, not too long ago, I had interviewed Pablo. And, oh, okay. and it, it was cool because when I was, you know, talking to him, there was like a lot of similarities and things that I could relate to what he was saying, okay. you know, and, and that was one of the things, you know, when, when the family, they're, they're ready to, you know, go to sleep and then you have this free time, you know, there's a, yeah. there's like a, a window of, mm-hmm. of, you know, to work on stuff. And I was just, you know, he was expressing to me, you know, his schedule and I was like tripping out, I was like, man i'm I'm kind of like in the same boat you know yeah like that and um and you know right now you're telling me also so it's pretty cool and you know one thing i want to ask like w- what would you say is like the hours where you go all right like i have the energy i'm i'm pumped i'm ready to go like when is it that time at night when you begin and when you say all right i'm calling it a night it's time you know i'll continue this tomorrow um, so the times that I feel like I'm pumped up the most is usually Friday and Saturday nights because I I can model as long as I want and not have to worry about having to wake up super early in the morning, you know, like Monday morning to get ready for work. And for like this project here, I have to, I wake up at three in the morning to head out here. Yeah. And so I'm here for the week, but yeah, Fridays and Saturdays usually are like my modeling, 
like those are my, my strong modeling days. And you can tell too by my posts, they're usually on the weekends. And then what I do is I usually I'll have like maybe like I just make like a tea, you know, just some like strong tea. And I just put on some good movies in the background and I kind of just get into the zone like that. And it's funny because it's like I usually wait for like my 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 wife, my daughter. I make sure that they have something that they're going to be doing that they're involved with. And, you know, now that my daughter's getting older, her and my, my wife are like super good friends. So they'll just lay in bed and in the bed together and watch something on like Netflix or something. So when I know they're going to spend the whole night together, then I go in the man cave and close the door, just drink my hot tea, my hot, strong tea, put on a movie. And I just really, really get into it. You know, and that's, that to me is like, once I know I could be left alone, then I can really get into doing something kind of intricate because, you know, it's like, if, if you say, you sit down and say, okay, I'm going to wire up this, this, the spark plugs tonight on this motor, you know, but I, I want to get it done before my wife says, let's go to the grocery store. Then you just don't feel, you feel pressure. You're like, okay, I have to get this done right now because we have to take off right now. Yeah. So for me, it's like, you know, and the other thing too, is I, it doesn't sound weird, but I actually have a set of like, I call it my modeling clothes. And I have a bunch of these old Pegasus shirts that are all full of paint stains and stuff like that. And the reason I, I put those on and some like real comfortable sweat, I guess they're like jogger pants or something like that. I do it because, and they're kind of older because what I do sometimes, and this is something that Mike Flynn always told me too. He says, you always have to have a rag to wipe your hands, something like that. But I keep these old Pegasus shirts and I'm always like, if I get glue or something, I always wipe on the bottom of these shirts. So if you look on the bottom, they're all full of paint, putty, and glue and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's just like a series. It's just like I put on like my my modeling uniform. You know, I've got like like my, my tea or it'll be an iced coffee or Coca Cola sometimes, and you know I have a movie going on the weekends, and that's really really when I just can sit down and say, okay, I'm just gonna just mess with something all night tonight, and then just keep going. And then once I feel really sleepy, then I you know just brush my teeth and go to bed. But usually that'll be like midnight or so. Or, Sometimes two in the morning. It just depends on what I'm working on. Yeah, yeah. So I would say you would say probably like two in the morning is probably the max, like where it's like, oh yeah, all right, definitely. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I I feel like I need to kind of set something like that too, like because during the week, um, it's like I want to work on stuff, but then I feel a bit like it's gonna like I'm forcing it, and I yeah. I feel quite tired, just drained because because of the baby, whatever you know, like the work yeah. week and everything. But um, whenever the weekend comes, you know, I'm also thinking like, oh, I don't have to wake up as early mm-hmm. to to do something, you know. So yeah. it, it's almost like I have to kind of decide, you know, am I going to go all in? You know, should I just set myself up for Friday or for a Saturday night? Exactly. Be- because even, you know, like weekends, like no, like no one's going out. You know? Yeah. <laughs> we're, all, yeah. we're all staying home, especially right now, you know. Yeah. So it's, uh, but you know, then again, they're going to sleep early, you know, yeah. at eight, but it's crazy. Cause sometimes I get caught slipping. Like I'll, I'll help my girl like, oh yeah, let's put the baby to sleep, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'll lay with the baby and it's like, probably like eight. And all of a sudden I pass out. Exactly. And yeah. then I end up waking up at like two, three in the morning. Like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> like, and I'm like, oh man, I was going to do something. It's too late. And then I just go back to sleep. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, and now, I mean, lately I haven't been working on anything, but I want to. Like, the projects yeah. are right in front of my face. Like, whenever I sit down at my, at my desk and at the bench, and I'm just like, man, they're right there, you know? But um, 
sometimes I'm just like a little hesitant because I'm just like, all right, it's 1030 right now or it's 11. Do I want to start sanding and making a mess already? Exactly. Or should I just kind of wait till the right time where maybe I get a start around 8 p.m. or, you know, or 9 yeah. or something where it's like, all right, cool. I'll at least get like a couple hours into it. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I, it's one of those things where you where you want to be able to just not have to have any pressures of doing anything else. You have no commitments, just kind of just, you know, basically ignoring the clock and just sitting there and just relaxing. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I, I just got to I gotta figure it out because I do have like a couple projects that I need to knock out. And because, you know, I keep doing like how you were saying, like a pilot, you know, it's yeah. it's like, oh, we got a new show. Here's the pilot yeah. episode. And then it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I have a lot of those like kits and it got to the point where I had to put a lot of those kits away in boxes and then put them in the garage because I was like, I don't want to look at them. Cause then exactly, I, yeah. Because then I, I'm feeling like I'm pressuring, my, I'm torturing myself, you know, every time yeah. I see them. Um, and it's almost like on some of them that inspiration kind of went away or like yeah. or like the thought of like what I had went away on yeah. those. But currently the ones I have in front of me, I'm like, all right, I'm like, I'm super into these right now, you know. Exactly. But I just got to, it's just the timing, finding the, the time. I remember a, a weekend where... My daughter, she was staying with my parents over the weekend, and I was like, "Oh, nice! You know, I'll be able to uh, to have this whole night to myself to work on this model." And I mean, those plans changed right away because you oh, know yeah. we didn't have the baby, and it was more like, "Hey, you know, let's go hang out with my cousin. He's having like a barbecue and exactly and that." And I was like, "All right, I'll, let's go then." And yeah, and it just turned into more like hanging out, partying, or whatever, and. I was like, dang, like the, that night's gone, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's so true. And the, the other thing, too, that I find myself now that I'm getting older, I was talking to somebody recently, and we were talking about model building, and this guy builds model airplanes from scratch, and he does beautiful stuff. I mean, he'll do like a diorama of like an, an airplane, you know, like a, a refueling tanker jet, refueling another plane on a diorama base. But anyways, but it's all, all scratch built. But we were talking, and I, I always, because he's retired, and I always got the feeling he would just build all night long. And he was like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm an old fart. <laughs> he, just says, he says, when you're my age, your power comes in the morning. And by four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm done. There's no modeling. And he wakes up at six in the morning, has some coffee. He'll go and have breakfast at some restaurant. He goes to the same restaurant every morning. And for him, it's like the workout. He'll go have his breakfast, his coffee. And then he'll come, come back and he'll sit down at the modeling bench between 6, 6.30 and he builds until like one or two. And he says four o'clock is the latest. And after that, nighttime is for unwinding, doing yard work and stuff like that. And honestly, I see myself. So like, you know, when I'm at home, I'll wake up sometimes really early and I'll say, well, let me just drill these holes or let me just do something. And honestly, it's a lot easier when I wake up fresh or, you know, after I'm done, because I do a lot of running. So after I come back from a good run, I have my breakfast and I'm like, all right, let me just drill this. or let me just hook up this carburetor linkage. I'm like, all right. George is right. It's a lot easier in the morning, you know, mm-hmm, and it yeah. just comes with just getting older. It's like before I never would build in the daytime. I remember Mike Flynn was telling me, he was like, oh, I spent all day long building. And I, for some reason to me, that seems so weird. I only built at <laughs> night, you know, like, and it's because I was, you know, young and just want to go out and party, you know. And for me, model building was just like Monday through Thursday at night. And for him to tell me he spent, you know, two days in a row back to back building models during the daytime was so foreign. But now it's like, I love it, you know, and 
So I hope to get to that point where maybe like on a day off, I can do some model building in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> but then I get started and my wife will say, you know, we have to go grocery shopping or, you know, just life, you know, you have to take care oh, of things. Oh yeah. You, you got to handle those shopping. things. Yeah. For you sure. Mow the lawn or something like that. So mm-hmm. you can't just say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, drilling, drilling spark plug holes. I can't be bothered right now. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes, uh, even like when I'll be at home working from home, like I'll be answering phones and stuff and, and you know, whenever there's uh there was a time like, like a month ago where it was kind of like a little slow during mm-hmm. some days. So I remember the night before I was already like, yeah, it's going to probably be slow tomorrow. So let me, uh, let me grab these parts here and this kit here. And I was already like setting stuff aside that I was going to send what I was going to primer yeah. and how I was going to dry it. And then, you know, if I got that done, then, then the next task was going to be like painting it. And, but I, but it was all like for the morning. Right. And mm-hmm. when nothing was going on, like no calls or anything, I would step outside of the house to like a rattle kind of like primer parts. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And it just felt good in that moment. Yeah. You know, I yeah. was like, Oh, this is cool. Because also the baby, the baby was, uh, with my in-laws being, oh, wa- okay. being watched, you know? So I was like, cool. You know, it, it's, it's like, I'm working, but I'm not, I'm over here mm-hmm. ha- having fun. But then I started to think like, man, what if, what if like when the day comes where you get to do this in the morning, like, like that, how you're explaining, you know, yeah. um, that's awesome because especially when you're retired, I, I feel like I feel bad for those people that retire and they have no hobbies, no, not, they don't know what to do. Exactly. Yep. They don't know exactly what to do Yeah. and they want to do something, but they just completely don't know what to do. It's almost like they didn't prepare for this moment they they didn't see this day coming but it's there yeah and then next thing you know they're freaking out about their health and then they start to deteriorate or whatever you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like yeah crazy stuff starts to happen and i've seen it you know uh in the past happen to people and it's it's kind of cool when you already have you're attached to a hobby that keeps your, your mind busy and it's almost like you're just waiting for that day to come so you could transition into uh, building or or just doing what you love passionately like every day exactly yeah so that's that's exactly what this guy's feeling was so this guy was a corporal for a local police department out here and we were talking and you know i met him of course working at pegasus and when i first met the guy he just seemed like he never wanted to talk he actually seemed like a jerk you know and he's just like always grumpy and stuff and then I was talking to him one day and, you know, he kind of opened up and he was just a really, he's a really nice guy. He's got you know a lot of kits and we were talking one day about models and I'm like, well, how big is your collection? Cause he would come in and buy, you know, four or five of the same airplane kit. And these are like 50, $60 kits. And he was like, well, let me tell you something. He's like, my parents were, were immigrants from Greece and we were poor when I was a kid. I always wanted a nice model collection. And so now I have four storage units of models. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, four storage units. He says, I probably have over 10,000 models. I can't tell you how many I have, but I have four or five of everything. And then he has all the hard-to-find model kits that you've ever wanted. So, like, you know, there's certain, like, old, like, Aurora kits. You know, he'll they're super expensive. He'll pay somebody to find him the best one in the country. So that's how good this guy's collection is. And then when he was a kid, he couldn't afford an airbrush, and we were talking one day, and I thought I had a big air, airbrush collection. This guy has, like, 80-something airbrushes. and like six compressors and everything he has is just these big numbers and he's got this big house and 
he was, you know, he showed me pictures of it and the living room looks really nice, but it's set up as a nice modeling studio. And that's what he, with exactly what you're talking about. He says he knew the day was going to come when he retired. He knew a lot of people that didn't know that he worked with on the police force who would retire. And he said, these people had no life when they retired and they would go back and hang out at the police station because that's, they didn't have anything else to do. And he said he was never going to be like that when he retired. He says, when I retire, I'm going to build models just like when I was a kid. And you know what? That's what he does. He's so happy. You know, it's like his kids are doing well and everything's good. And he says, you know, I'm retired and I wake up every day and he goes and has coffee and breakfast at this one diner. And then he gets home and he builds models. And he that's he's always he's always telling me kind of what you're saying. Make sure you're prepared for the future. He says not not you know, even financially, of course, that's the most important thing. But he said, you got to have something to look forward to. Otherwise, you're just going to croak. You know, those are his exact words. You're just going to die from doing nothing. Your mind's just going to deteriorate and you're just going to die. Yeah, because it, it makes sense like in the morning because it's like it's almost like um, like prior prior to the retirement, you know, you have a, a set schedule to go to work mm-hmm. or do stuff in the morning. You know, you're, that's what's keeping you busy. Now yeah. you're retired and now it's like, oh, wait, I get to have fun now yeah. with, with what I'm doing. And yeah, I mean, you're going to run into those those issues of like, oh, wait, fitting or whatever, you know, but, but, yeah. but then that's the fun part. Once you get that satisfaction, once you fix it or once you figure out like what was wrong with the model. Exactly. And, and you're like, oh man, this is like super dope, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I could definitely see that. So anybody who's listening to this podcast right now, uh, take some notes right there. If you're like years from like retiring, you know, you never know. There might be someone who maybe has two more years left, three or four. But yeah, you should be fine if you if you're building models. You oh know? yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it goes by fast. Let me tell you that I remember being, you know, nineteen, twenty years old, and people in their forties or fifties would say, "Oh, listen up, kid, it's going to go by fast." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, you're crazy. You're, you don't know. You, you don't know anything. You're old, you know." And here I am. You know, I turned forty-one. I'm like, "Holy shit!" I was twenty-something. It just went by in a blink of an eye. You know, it's like. Give you an idea. To me, the, the the craziest thing was on Saturday. I saw my friend's son. So I remember when my friend came to tell me that he was going to have a baby. And we were like 19. I remember we were 19. We just got Hondas. We thought we were cool. And he told me, my girlfriend's pregnant. I'm going to have a baby. I'm like, holy shit, man. We're only 19. That's crazy. I just got that kid a job at Pegasus now. And he's older than me and my friend were when his dad had him. And to me, I'm like, wow. This kid is like 23 years old, you know, and his his dad had him at 19. You know, I'm just like, man, that is that really was just like, holy shit, you know. And so my friend could be a grandpa anytime now, you know, just like you just uh-huh. realize, man, that just goes by super fast. You know, it's just it, it goes by fast. But, yeah, it, it's good to have a hobby, though. You definitely want to have a hobby to, to keep you busy, you know, but no, it, it does. Bottles it, are fine. The bottles are fun. You know, yeah, it's funny because I'm I'm, I'm already thinking like. You know, like when you're young, um, you want to have this time, right, to build the models because mm-hmm. you're so into it. You're like, oh, yeah. you're young. You have all this energy. You want to build all these models. But then it's like how we were saying, you know, you got to go do your chores, do the groceries. Or or it's like your girl's like, hey, why don't you – I want to spend time with you. I just want to be with yeah. you, you know, all the time. Yeah. And you're like, all right, all right, all right. You know, you do all these things or whatever. But then I feel like as you get older, it's more like I'm going to go do my – yeah, go over there go do your thing i don't want to see you know i'm gonna do my (laughs) thing too 
Yeah. It's almost like, you know, we've been living with each other all our lives. You know, we love each other, but you yeah. go do you and I'm going to do me over here. That's, that, that's exactly how it is with me and my wife. You know, she goes to her room now. She actually doesn't want me in her room at all. She's like, you know, she's got her little room there. She's like, if I'm laying here, don't come in here. Don't talk to me. Don't tell me any <laughs> stupid stories. You know, literally she tells me that her and my daughter, and it, and it really makes me happy to see it. They're super close, you know, yeah. and they're each on their iPads watching movies or doing some goofy thing on TikTok or something. <laughs> and me, I just get my little dog, which no, I, I'll post a picture of my dog. No one knows, but there is a dog in my man cave every single night when I'm in there. And my dog has his own chair there, his own bed. That's cool. And he's actually, he sits next to my mill and he likes to watch me when I'm sitting there making stuff. So I actually put gla safety glasses on him. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take cool. a picture. No, no one knows, but there's a little dog there. His name's Mustard. But me and Mustard, he's old. He's like 15. Uh -huh. we, we just we just go in my room together, and he'll just sit in the chair the whole entire night when I'm modeling. And if I get up to go to the bathroom, he knows the routine. So if I get up to go to the bathroom, he'll still stay there. But if he, could, he if he knows that I'm if he hears me locking doors, setting the coffee machine, mm -hmm. he knows it's time for bed. He'll jump off and go meet me in the room for yeah, bed, right? That's but it's so cool. funny because yeah, it, it, but it's it's so funny because kind of like what you're saying, like. We love each other. You do you. I'll do me. You know, and yeah, that's that's really like weekend modeling <laughs> sessions are like that for me. It's like mm -hmm. Friday nights. We have this thing where every Friday night we got to dinner. And when we come back home, I always sit in my backyard and I'll smoke a cigar, and then I will smoke my cigar, go in the house, and then like once that's for me like that's like okay the weekend's here, you know. Let me start modeling, and then Saturday, you know, we'll we'll do all our stuff, grocery stores, you know events things that we have to take care of and then when i come home i just put on my my modeling outfit and, you know just sit there and just start modeling until whenever and then sunday morning you know i'll wake up a little earlier and then we're just starting to get back you know getting ready for the week again so there, there's definitely a routine there and yeah. even if i'm not building models i'm still tinkering with something whether i'm machining like you know like that thing i made a, a cylinder for a revolver I don't have a gun for it. I just was like, I'm going to make something this weekend on this mill just to see what it's like, you know, and yeah, just something to tinker with. Man, that's cool. Uh, uh, going back to your dog, Mustard, do you ever think sometimes like when you look at him and he's just chilling there that maybe he's thinking, man, I can't wait for my next life. I'm going to either be a model builder or an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, man. That, that dog was a rescue dog. You know, somebody gave him to us like literally 10 years ago and he was already like four or five years old. And when I first got the dog, I didn't really care for him. You know, I just ignored him, whatever. It was like my lady's dog. And then we got him the week my wife found out she was pregnant. And after that was all about the baby with for her, right? And she loves that dog, too. She doesn't neglect him at all. But he kind of just became like my dog, you know? So, like, mm -hmm. I feed him. He actually has his own water bowls in my man cave. He has, like, his food bowl, his water bowl. And his own chair. He has a chair there with like a little, and on the chair, there's like a carpet with a blanket and some toys. And he'll just sit there and sleep all day long. You know, he'll fart and the room stinks bad. But, <laughs> he feels, but it's so funny because he's comfortable. That, he's like, very comfortable, yeah. but he's he's a big part of the modeling there. That I guess I guess I should show a picture of him someday because no one ever knows that there's a dog sitting behind me the whole entire time. Yeah. You know, and it's so funny because like there's no one, like if I make a part of something, there's no one for me to say, like, look what I made. So I'll just turn around, I'm like, Check this out, mustard. He just stares at me like, all right. You know? yeah. He gives you the okay with the eyes. Yeah, yeah. He just looks at me like, all right, whatever, weirdo. And you'll put like the second I say his name, he lifts his head up, and then he'll just look at me, and then I'll just turn around, and he just goes back to sleep, and I just go back to my own thing. Mm -hmm. but, oh, that's cool. No, it's all yeah. It's always nice when you you have like a pet just chilling right there. Yeah, 
Because they, they know you're busy and they're just like, oh, I just kind of want to relax. They, they want to unwind, you know? Exactly. They, they just want to chill. And, yep. um, and I, I guess they feel accepted when they know like, oh, he's not telling me to leave, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. He's just letting me hang out right here in the room. So that's, yeah, that's yeah, nice. no, that's, that's, that's his chair. If my, uh, if, you know, like a friend or somebody comes over and they sit in the chair, he'll walk up and he'll just stare at them while they're sitting on the chair. And that's his way of saying like, I want to sit up there. <laughs> so you have to, so there's another chair. There's like an office chair that's in there that people can sit on because that's his chair. And he'll let you know, like he doesn't bite or bark or anything, but he'll just walk up to you and just stare at you. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's him saying like, he wants to go sit up there and you have to move. You know, it's just kind of weird <laughs> to like guess that like, sorry, you got to move, dude. That's my dog's chair. <laughs> yeah. No, that's dope, man. Yeah. You should, you should, you should share them. Yeah. I'll, I'll show a picture of them. Yeah. yeah people don't cool. realize that, that there's a dog every single night sitting there, you know? Mm-hmm. And and like your builds when when you're done with these builds, um, do you display? Are you displaying them right now, or are you just kind of just putting them away, stored away? No, I'm finally dis- I'm finally displaying them. So like the '65 Impala that I built, that's that's the first model I've ever displayed at home. You know, well at least since I've lived on my own. When I lived with my parents, I built models. You know, as a kid, they were displayed on the mantle, but I've never had a model on display at my house. They've always been at Pegasus. Yeah, you know, I've never had a model. So people come over. And they'll say, where's your built-ups? And I'm like, I don't have a single built-up here. And so what I would do is I would build stuff, but then I would just put it like in a drawer and I would just lose it. I'm like, where did I put that model? I know I built something. I'd have to go back through these drawers and find it. So I just told myself (laughs) enough is enough. So I actually cleaned off one shelf. I have this bookshelf and I cleaned off one of the shelves of all the books. And I have one model there in a display case. And that's eventually going to be a full-on display case there. Oh, that's nice. Because it's nice, you know, after you build something, it's nice to look at it. I've never experienced that. You know, it's like I would build something and then the day I was built, you know, the next day I would just take it to Pegasus and put in the display case there and it'll be there, you know, forever. They've All my models have been there since then. They're all packed up now since the move, but but yeah, I don't have a, you know, this is the first model I've ever displayed at my house. And even my wife was like, oh, it's nice to see something, you know, I've never seen anything you've built before. <laughs> I know you, you, you know me, you know, 20 something years, you've never seen a model that I've built. And she, she doesn't, she's never seen one built before. And she's like, you always start stuff, you never finish it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, they're all at Pegasus. Man, did, did you ever feel uh, like the first time when you were going to display a model there at Pegasus and leave it there? Did you um, like feel like disattached from it? Or did you feel like, man, I, I, I can't wait to get this back maybe like a month from now or so? Oh, yeah. So it was, uh, I built this this blue and black truck with gold rims. I'll never forget. And it was actually pretty clean, right? But I remember I took it to Pegasus and Mike Blaine asked me if I could display it there, if I wanted to display it. And I'm like, yeah. And when he told me that I started shaking, I couldn't believe it. You know, one of these like, holy shit, they're really going to display it. And I remember it was on display there for like two weeks and I went and I picked it up because I was afraid somebody was going to steal it. But then I would take it home for the weekend and then I would take it back the next Monday. You know, I was mm. only like 14, right? So yeah. I would go and pick it up on the weekends. Like it was like week in custody. <laughs> And he was like, are you going to make up your mind? Are you going to leave it here or not? I'm like, all right, fine. And he was like, look, it's safe here. No one's ever going to steal it. The cases are locked. And if it's at your house, it's going to get broken. I'm like, yeah, that's true. You're right. And so, yeah, I remember just, but I would lose sleep that night. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe my model's there. You know, what am I going to do? What if somebody steals it? You know, and I would always want it back. And then after a while, to me, it was like, it was the only thing I knew was just to build a model and leave it there. You know, I didn't know anything about displaying them at home until literally this year, you know. Like all the, all the other models um, that were like contributed to that display, uh, was was it like the same artists that were doing it, or was it just kind of different people that were doing those builds? 
oh, they're all different people. Some of those models have been there for literally 30 years. You know, it's crazy that they're still, I mean, they're falling apart. Some parts that just fall off. Like I remember walking by one, one of the cars and I was just looking at it and I tapped the showcase and the headlight fell out and I was like, Oh man. <laughs> but then again, they've been there for 30 years, Yeah. but they were all built by different people. And it was weird because before Pegasus moved, I was looking at that showcase and I couldn't believe how many models that were in there were built by people who had passed away. It was just, oh, it was man. just scary. Yeah. It was just like, wow, that guy passed away. This guy passed away. This guy. I couldn't believe it. It was almost like a, like a memorial, you know. It was just like, wow. yeah. You're you like, know, let me get mine out of the case and I'll put it on this yeah, other case. Yeah, yeah. There was like, I remember counting eight people. I remember that. I'm like, there's eight modelers who have displayed cars here, and they're all gone, you know. And uh-huh. one of them had passed away like right before COVID. I remember because I, I see him all the time, and he, we, we had made plans for him to come over. You know, we're in a barbecue and. I'm like, man, what happened? You know, he was supposed to, he was always, you know, coming over like clockwork. But I remember him telling me, I was, it was super busy. And he came up and said, hey, man, I sorry I didn't come in last week. And he was like, I was in the hospital too. And I'm like, oh, what for? And he was like, oh, my heart. He says, the month before, the doctors cut me open like a fish. They got me open like a fish and I have all these heart issues and stuff. He's like, but I'm good now. And that was the last time I ever talked to him. And I, cause I didn't see him and I would call up his phone number. And I'm like, man, no, you know, went straight to voicemail. I'm like, that's kind of weird. And then I left the message, didn't hear anything. And then I call back again and it was disconnected. I'm like, fuck, that's not a good sign. And mm-hmm. I just did a Google search of his name and the city he lived in. And the first thing that came up was his obituary. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And I was just talking to Diego and yeah, that was, you know, it was heartbreaking because I've known that guy for so long. And, uh-huh. you know, we had plans to for him to come over so we can barbecue and stuff. And, you know, then all hell broke loose. It was a pandemic, literally, like right after that. But, but yeah, but I remember because then I was just like, wow, man. So that's when I counted the cars, and I'm like, eight people in the showcase have passed away. You know, and, wow, that's that's crazy. Yeah, it's it's really weird to think about that. You know, just mm-hmm. eight eight of the models. But then you just look at just like on Instagram, the amount of modelers that have passed away. Just you know, within the last like four or five years, man, it's just it's mm-hmm. kind of shocking. It's it's sad too. You know, it's really sad. Yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah. It's a, it's a trip. Like once the the years go by and you start meeting people and, and start having like these connections with people, that, um, you know, we're we're lucky that we get to go home. We see our families and everything, or even being healthy or or doing a part to to stay healthy, right? Like exer- exactly, yeah. Exercising or or making that decision, you know, what you eat or what you put in your body, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, um. You know, anything that happens, sometimes a freak accident happens or, or, you know, health issues or whatever, but it, it's just every, every person we're connected to online, you know, they're spread out everywhere, all, all over the U.S. Yeah. and all over the world that many things can happen. Exactly. And, and, yeah. it, and it's a scary thing, you know, once we learn that, hey, this happened to this person or they're not, yeah. they're no longer here anymore. Yeah, it's like, oh, my God, it's like super, super shocking for sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, definitely. Even like the um, the model show over at the NHRA Museum in Pomona. And, you know, they have that memorial there that, you know, they've had it for the last couple of years. I mean, I haven't been to the show in a couple of years, but the one time I went, they had something for a guy named John Scudder that I knew very well. And his friend, Bruce, you know, I've known those guys for a long time. And that was a shocker. And then the following year, there was a bunch of other people that passed away. And somebody was a good friend of mine was telling me, oh, did you know um, one of the guys name was um, oh, what was his name? 
Albert. Albert had passed away. And I'm like, no, I didn't know that. And so this guy, Albert, had me painting something for him. And he was he was the nicest guy. I mean, he looked like Morgan Freeman. He kind of sounded like Morgan Freeman. Just this really nice guy. One of like, I'm sure you saw him. He was at every single model show and every single real car show. And everybody knew Albert. But I remember I was painting something for Albert. And <clears throat> he was very nice. And I was taking long, but not super long. I didn't have for a year or anything like that. But he was really, really pushy. He's like, I really need to get this. I need to get this. And I'm like, all right, all right, you know, whatever. And I didn't charge him anything for it. And then find out he passed away. So I think he already knew he had cancer and he just wanted to get it back before he passed. Yeah. You know, but it's just, it's weird because it's just like, you know, like you said, it's like they're all, we're all connected and it's just, Mm -hmm. they're all just kind of just dropping off. And it's just, it's sad because it's just, you know, you just get used to seeing certain people at shows or hearing them or, you know, your whole life, you always kind of knew that they were back there somewhere, and all of a sudden, they're not there anymore yet. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of shocking. No, it is. Um, r- right now, what's tripping me out is, like, um, you know, th- there, there's uh, on Instagram some model builders that are from Ukraine. And, oh, yeah. And also, um, there's, like, a company that creates aftermarket products from there, too. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it tripped me out, you know, when they started to post, like, yo, like, you know, um, we're not shipping anything, like, based on what's going on, and we don't even know, like, what's going to happen. Yeah. And then another individual, you know, kind of seeking shelter, and I'm just thinking, like, fuck, like, that's crazy. Like, you know, we're we're all lucky that we're at home, chilling mm-hmm. with our families, used to this routine, you know, have, being able to, like, build a model car, and then, you know, but on the other side, it's, like, these people that they have the same passion like us yeah. building the kits and, and getting it, creating parts or whatever. And now it's like, that's been taken away right now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's like, the... it's almost like those thoughts of going back to that are, are gone at the moment. It's more about yeah. surviving. Exactly. That's all it is. is surviving. It's like trying yeah. to see, you know, especially for your family, if they got kids, you know, their parents, yeah. whatever. And, um, and, and it's like, um, I notice. I mean, I follow some of these like artists and the company that are from there, but I've noticed like now like a like a lack of decline of obviously no posts. You yeah. know that yeah. it kind of it's kind of trippy because you don't know you know what's going on. And I mean, I even before it's not like I was conversating all the time or anything like that. But from but I would like or see stuff right. But, exactly, but yeah. then again, you know, it's one of those things where you see and you go, oh, man, let me let me send a DM just to say what's up. And, you know, hopefully they're cool. Um, and I'm not expecting like a reply, but, you know, yeah, because I'm sure maybe everybody's hitting them up or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, you see no activity, no nothing uh, like a disconnection. Yeah, exactly. that it, it just makes you wonder, like, man, I, I hope they're safe. You know exactly, yeah. No, it's and, there's a lot of model companies in the Ukraine, you know, like Mini Art, and I mean, I forget the rest, but there's like three or four different companies. And then I know, um, just recently, last week, one of the guys who paints the box art for a company called Roden Models was killed. He was, he was killed in one of the bombings in Ukraine out there, so, you know, out there, yeah. Wow, yeah. Man, that's a, that's crazy, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's uh, but that's the thing, like. I feel like, um, you know, we're obviously like, you know, it's so easy to communicate with someone across the world now. Yeah. You know, and I feel like everyone's 
uh, more connected than ever that at some point you start to realize, um, you know, like obviously, you know, we're, we're younger and then, you know, we got kids or even more younger and it's like, you start to realize, you know what, every, we all need each other. Like, it's like a, like an ecosystem, right? Exactly. Like, like a business standpoint, I need products from Japan. I need products from China. I need products from, you know, various places, Taiwan, wherever the U S and the minute something pops off, you know, let's say something pops off in this one country and another, it's now it starts to affect, right? Like, Oh, I can't get that. I can't get those products anymore because they they stopped production. They're not shipping anything. Um, Resources are super expensive and stuff like that. And I go, all right, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll chill. But then again, later, then it gets crazy. Now it starts to affect everybody, right? Like right now, yeah. like gas is like up and and you start to think like, all right, well, they use oil to, to make plastic and various mm-hmm. items. Like, you know, we're already, we're earlier, we we're talking about the prices of the kits, yeah, you know, who exactly. knows the faith in the future or whatever. We don't even yeah. know what's going to happen next week, you know? Yeah. Exactly. But no. it's like, uh, what if, for example, oh, kits, you know, we're going to come out with new kits for for fall season. And now they're going to be priced at 40, 50, $80, you know, or, yeah. you know, it gets to a point where you go, nah, I'm not going to even cop those because I got to buy groceries or I got to, exactly. I got to pay 150 for gas now. Yeah. yeah, crazy? yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just a trip that I, I just feel like, um, like the old school mentality, you know, as far as like, oh, I'm gonna take over or whatever. Like, it's almost like, all right, that needs to go away, you know? Yeah, it's more like just let people do their thing. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I really don't know, like, really the detail, you know, like the politics side of all that or whatever. Mm -hmm. But just from the outside, I, you know, I I try to see it more as like, man, like, like we need each other, you know, exactly. Yeah, because it's like, especially like, I think like, all right, the US, you know, there could be countries that could hate us, you know, but as much as you hate um, you need us because exactly. if you try to take us out and you do, who's going to buy whatever you produce? Everything you make. Yeah. Nothing. Nobody. Exactly, All right. Yeah. Wh- when are you going to see your favorite basketball players play? Never. When are you going to yeah. see your favorite movies? Never. Like, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. but the same as much as like you need us, I need you too. Cause I need your product, you know? Yep, exactly. Like, and it, it's just a trip, but I don't know. I don't know. I hope those people are safe and, I mean, I, I, you know, everybody who, who builds models, it, it's like, um, I, I almost feel like, you know, it, we're on to different things, but if you're specifically building models, it's, it's like, there's something special about you. The reason why you're doing this, you know, yeah. obviously yeah. it's, it's keeping your mind busy and all, but then mm-hmm. again, you know, it's like you doing, um, creating parts and you run into problems, you know, a solution even, you know, your mentor, Mike, like he's already telling you how to, you know, create solutions to things. And at some point, bro, that, that comes in handy in your life. You know, oh, it does. It does. Like, I mean, everything. I mean, just what I do for a living. I contribute like 100 percent to model building because it's kind of like what I'm doing out here, just figuring out stuff, putting stuff together. But even, you know, I know a lot of people who started building models and went into like engineering automotive repair paint and body and stuff like that and it's all they'll tell you it's all coming from 
from you know model building just like you know Wes Salazar. Oh I yeah, dude, I saw he had posted. Uh, he was like, he was he was repairing something, and he's yeah. he's like, oh look, I used the uh, styrene. Yeah, yeah, he he works. <laughs> yeah, he does paint and body. He does paint and body, and so he he lost his job that he had, and I think he, he was refurbishing like medical equipment or something like that. And he, you know, he lost that job, but it was kind of like, like, almost like, like a good thing that he lost it because now he's doing something that he's getting paid way more to do. He loves it. And it's just, you know, instead of working on something that fits in the palm of his hand, he's working on something that he can drive, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, he said, I was talking to him. He said, it's the same thing. I'm mixing up paint. I'm doing this. I'm doing body work. It's the same thing as a model, except it's bigger. And so but he was saying, yeah, he was like, everything I learned in models it worked right into this. So he got right into paint and body. But, you know, I know some other people that do like custom fabrication and stuff, and they all say it's all for model building, you know? Yeah. it's It really, really does come down. It really has helped people. I know some other people who ended up, you know, they all built models in the 50s and 60s as kids. And then they all either, you know, they're in Vietnam or some of the other wars, different branches of the military. And when they got out, they all worked like aerospace. You know, and they're just like when I was a kid, I built models and it's the same. You know, of course, an airplane, a real airplane flies, but they're just saying, you know, it's the assembly, know the parts, you know, or just like, you know, when you're, we start building models as a kid, you start realizing what certain parts are. That's the carburetor. These are the valve covers. You know, this is the oil pan that, you know, covers the the crankshaft. And you kind of get you familiar with the way, you know, an automobile engine works. Yeah, dude, it, it it's a trip. Like, you know, all those things definitely they they come in handy and you know I, I bet do you ever um like hear people when they refer to math and they go like who needs that oh yeah yeah <laughs> you know like maybe you know like when you're younger you're like oh I hate math I don't want to yeah. do it or and then later as you grow up people some people will reference like ah oh, well, like why are they teaching all this math stuff like all these levels of it like we don't need yeah. all that but then as you get older right and you start doing certain things you realize how all that stuff comes in handy. Yeah. And and it's the same with model building, you know. Some people yeah. might look at it as like, ah, why are you still doing that? Or why is that even around? But, exactly. But then once you're in it or you step into it, you start to realize like the benefits that, yeah. that it gives you. And then again, too, like online um, model building, it's like a big, uh, uh, like an introduction or like, a, how can I say this? You know, you can communicate with people from another country just with your models. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like like an icebreaker, pretty much. Yeah. You know, and you might not even speak the language, but you can you you know how to give someone props when you see something something dope. You know, you're like, oh my god! You you tap that little heart. You know, (laughs) yeah. Like you give somebody a like, and they can be a model. I mean, I've done that. I follow model builders from like Japan or Germany. You know, we don't speak the same language, but we give each other like the thumbs up and stuff. You know, and you are like. Yeah, I follow this guy who builds these crazy RC cars in Japan and his RC cars are 100% like machined aluminum, everything. The only thing that's not is like the rubber on the tires. And we always go back and forth giving each other compliments, but you know, he only speaks Japanese. I only speak English. So it's like, like you said, just communicating via like, you know, like emojis and stuff, but there's still like that, that camaraderie there of like, I love what you're doing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Nah, there is, dude. Yeah, it really is. But yeah, it's like in the the grand scheme of everything, it's like all models are all connected. It doesn't matter. Like if you build Gundam or aircraft or something, it's like 
there's that commonality of like, uh, you know, the certain language and certain like mindset, problem solving skills, you know, like these mental tools that you bring to the table. It's like, it's kind of just like, it kind of just connects everybody, you know, all modelers alike. Mm-hmm. No, it does. It does definitely. And um, well, before we wrap up this episode, Joe, I, I wanted to ask you, what, what are your plans for this year, for 2022? I mean, we're, we're in March. We still have, you know, months ahead of us before this uh, year ends. Uh, but is there is there something uh, different you may want to do? Let's just say like a resolution of this year uh, compared to the last year for model building. Yeah. So the one thing I want to do is, like I said, I want to get uh, my goal is to build like kind of a period perfect early 90s hot rod with a lot of billet aluminum. And I'd have to say my overall goal, honestly, is to to get better and machine more intricate parts, which means getting a better lathe, which I'll be getting pretty soon. I'm so busy with work. I'm going to be getting a Sherline. I got a Sherline mill already. So I have to get a Sherline lathe now. I have a couple lathes and they work great, but these Sherline ones are real precise, but I really want to start doing these just all metal models, you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to mean car models. So like one of the things I want to work on is like a civil war cannon and I already got the brass. So I'll be machining the, you know, the cannon itself, the wheels out of brass and stuff like that. And then the rest of it's going to be wood. But I think, I think my resolution is just, yeah, build, you know, a period perfect early nineties hot rod. And I think just really improve all my machining skills. Nice, nice. That's cool, man. And any uh, any advice or anything for anybody who's just jumping into the model building right now? Yes. Read, read, read. Read all the tips you can get. You know, it's it, it's so much easier now with the internet because you can just do a Google search. How do I chop a top on the 125th scale model? You know, read that. And honestly, like I always tell people, especially, you know, younger kids that I would be when I was working at Pegasus and they're getting into it. And they were afraid to to ruin a model. And I would always and I always tell people this. And you can even ask Zan, you know, Zan, he's always asking, he's always DMing me questions about machining. And I'm telling, I always tell people, you're gonna learn so much from making from making mistakes. If you make a mistake, that means you learn something because you won't be repeating that again. You know, if if you just built a model box stock without painting it, it's good. And you're gonna you're gonna learn how to build a model. So I always tell people, if you can get a model cheaply. Do it, build it, and don't even worry about painting it or anything. Just put it together so you know what the process is like. You know, just get like a, a pair of nippers and some glue and just build it completely boxed off. Don't even worry about paint or anything like that. You know, people say, well, it's going to look ugly. No, it doesn't matter. You know, if you get it built, in my, you know, in my opinion, that's beautiful because not too many models get built. You know, they get started, but they don't get built. And then from there, slowly start painting it. Paint maybe just the body, then work with the interior. <clears throat> and like I said, don't worry about making mistakes because those mistakes in the long run are going to teach you much more than if you didn't make any mistakes at all. You know, if you use an acrylic paint and then you put a lacquer clear over it, you're going to, you know, the lacquer clear is going to, or the paint's going to react with the clear. Well, now you won't know enough to do that again. So, you know, basically, I guess my advice is don't be afraid to take a chance on a model. And like that, the guy, Jack Davis, used to tell me, if you screw it up, don't show anybody. Don't post it, you know? <laughs> just keep it in the closet. That's true. Yeah, just don't post that at all. Just keep that yeah, one hidden. don't post it. <laughs> and don't post that one at all, and no one's going to know. That's cool. Well, thank you, Joe. It was cool, man. It, it was good yeah, ca- it was an honor. catching up. Uh, we'll have to do another 
a future episode again and keep us informed on your instagram too you know when the when you're ready to do them posts uh with your current builds and stuff and we hope to see you at the uh, socal open this year yeah definitely yeah. i hope to see you do there too cool well thank you man and you have a good night you too Edgar. have a good night all right you as well right, thank you peace out bye, bye.